Hey, good day, everyone, and welcome to the story of America. Uh, we all have to share in America's rich history, but none more so perhaps than our next guest tonight. We will be interviewing Aaron Lee, who is the independent candidate for Congress for the 4th District of Mississippi. It is people such as these that leave the largest impression in the story that we all share here as Americans. Politics is so often seen as a neutral force, or we all hope to have someone represent us on the ground, on the grand stage, trying to secure us more advantages uh, for our benefit. Over the course of the next hour or so, we are going to ask the tough questions that most debate formats will not allow or present the candidate the time necessary to answer. We'll press on issues ranging from economic to social issues and anywhere in between. So without further ado, allow me to introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Aaron Lee, the independent candidate for South Mississippi, the fourth district. Uh, please tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and why you're running, and then we'll get to the questions. Well, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. I love what you guys are doing. It's fabulous. Uh, one of the main reasons uh, I think I'm running is more so due to the fact of being frustrated, just like everyone else, about the nature of things and how they are being played out, especially here in the state of Mississippi. Um, regardless of how you feel about medical cannabis, that was overturned and our initiative, uh, our constitutional right to actually put things on the ballot, that was stripped away from us. And you didn't see much action on the side of the legislatures, nor did you see action on the governor's side. And to this day, we still have no initiative process. And that is in the constitution. So to me, that just speaks volumes as to the state of, if this is at the local state level, it's gotta be rampant in the federal sector as well. So that's one of the main goals I have is to more so get off of the divisive track of being Democrat or Republican. That's why I refuse to be both either of those is because you're you're pretty much obligated to vote with that party and i don't want to be that i want to be a voice for the people that elect me so okay uh you have any questions to start off with introductions Rhett? i do have an introductory question well a few but this one would be the best one to start with um would you mind explaining your background, career, family experience, just overall general overview? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, for the past, I'd say 10 years, I've worked in the federal government, mainly on the uh, DOD sector. And that was doing software development, uh, software architecture, network infrastructure, uh, a lot of the high IT based systems. And it was dealing with the defense of our most highest and secure assets. So I've spent the better part of 10 years in a SCIF, which is a closed off, uh, secure, compartmentalized information facility, uh, pretty much shut off from the outside world. And so I know what, what, what it's going to need. I've seen it play out so many times as, as far as getting things implemented on the federal level. I see how long and frustrating it can be, but I also know the benefits of getting stuff done on the federal level, because when you get it done at the federal level, it's kind of like, how's the saying go, water flows down. 
So if you get it passed on the federal level, you're pretty much guaranteed that people in Mississippi, such as the legislator, can overturn it. And that's one of the things that I want to be sure of. If I work diligently to get something passed for the constituents, that it's passed and is not going to be overturned. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Another uh, one, one of my questions for introductory is why why the independent ticket? I mean, obviously, you know, Republican and Democrat ticket, but we do have other parties that are recognized in the state of Mississippi. I, you know, this is pretty much the exact same thing that uh, our last guest had. Um, he was also going to do an independent ticket and ran into the same hurdles and then did some research and found some of the other recognized parties that Mississippi recognizes and some that were more for more for him, which is much easier to get off the ground than the independent ticket. I mean, I know the process with that is the biggest headache that I've ever had to do. And especially when you have to try to get the unique donors and then deal with the FEC after that. Uh, so uh, the independent ticket, why, why independent? Why, why not something else? Because yet again, I don't want to be even more so looked upon or stereotyped that my, my vote's being bought. So yet again, it goes to me wanting to represent the people. I, I'm not sitting behind a, you know, a masked veil here trying to hide who I am. I, I'm not Republican nor Democrat. I don't believe those parties should even exist, honestly. Is because it, at the end of the day, you should come to terms like adults and meet face to face. That's how democracy is supposed to play out. You're supposed to meet on common ground. You say what's good about your policies. I say what's good about mine. Let's meet in common ground. Maybe we can put them both together. I like that. Uh, any other introductory questions you have, Rhett? Well, my second question was pretty much the same as the one you just asked, but. I'll make a comment about the whole independent thing. It's definitely harder to run without the support of a party, even a third party. But I think independent is probably the category that most Americans would put themselves in. They might lean more toward one party or the other, but when it's said and done, it's, I would say that most people are probably independent. That's how I would consider myself. Well, that's how I, I, I considered myself too. Until until I started running for Congress and ran into the hurdles as an independent candidate, then I did research and found a Constitution Party. I was ind independent as well because I'm I share the same sentiment with you, uh, with you, Aaron. Is I hate the idea of the two party system, the prison of two ideas. I hate the idea of feeling pressured to have to vote a certain way on Capitol Hill. And I hate the idea of uh, potentially losing or gaining votes mm -hmm. just based upon the party I decide to get on. Cause uh, you know, I, I, I laugh, I laugh and joke about it. But you know, if I, if I wanted to have a real chance of, win, of winning, I run as a Democrat cause I gained practically every black vote in the state, but I don't want those votes if it's votes and blind ignorance of the party. So I, I kind of, I, I agree with you on that, but 
you know, haven't done it myself before, uh, you you have of the candidates that are running, you have the greatest hurdle to climb out of all. And, of and all that's the candidates. that's a, that's a great thing, man. Because even in my professional career, challenges are met head first. I go head first into them because I know the difficulty, but. At the same time, I know the payout is going to be worth it at the end. And so if I can do it without a, uh, you know, political letter against my name, George Washington was not part of a political party. He refused to be. Um, political party, I guess you'd say parties really wasn't invented until probably uh, Andrew Jackson, honestly. I mean, you had the somewhat Jeffersonians but they, they were still trying to identify all as just pretty much independent uh, constituents. But that's how it should be. It shouldn't be based upon your party or political structure. It should be based upon a person's judged on their policies they present. And uh, if people don't like them, that's fine. They can go somewhere else. But if a person does, that's the person that you should you know, be represented by. It shouldn't be gained or lost based upon your letter or the color of your skin. That's this, it, it's like a, uh, a discrimination factor, honestly. And to me, that shouldn't exist. It, it undermines the whole idea or philosophy behind democracy. I, I agree. Okay, so uh, we're, we're done with the, uh, in, the introductory questions. I'm gonna let Rhett take over from here. See, the way we have things set up, Rhett's gonna ask you, questions that are a lot more general, a lot more specific to key issues that are happening today and things that are really more specific to you, really more specific to the state. I'm going to ask you questions that are more specific to overall policy and discussions abroad around Congress. So I have quite a few more questions than Rhett does. So I'm going to let him take over for the, uh, for the majority of the first half of this. Okay, um, so my third question is, can y'all hear me all right? Yeah, yeah. you're good. Yeah. All right. This question is, well, I'll just read it out first and then explain the process of gaining ballot access as an independent candidate, because I know that there's issues with the FEC. I've never run, but DeAndre has, and um, our last guest had, and both of them expressed discontent with the FEC. So could you explain a little bit about that? It's, it's unbelievably difficult. It, it shouldn't be this way in the country to run. You, anybody should have the ability to run for Congress or representative, but now it's institutionalized so much that the two parties control it. And that's another thing that goes back to me stating that it shouldn't be that way. However, the process here in Mississippi or federally, the FCC allows you to officially be a candidate if you uh, spend at least $5,000, which I've already done that. And I don't have donors, so I'm spending out of my pocket, of course, which is probably dumb of me to run as an independent and throwing money away. But yet again, at, at the end of the day, I know that that's my money that I'm spending. It's not somebody else's. Uh, so you, you get the $5,000 and then in Mississippi, you have to collect 200 signatures. Well, that's kind of difficult when everyone and everything is closed down due to COVID. You have Congress, pretty much our state legislator extending sessions and extending judicial 
hearings and things of that nature due to COVID, why can't the uh, partitioning signature requirement be extended as well? Makes no sense to me, but that's how it pretty much goes. You get the signatures, it's 200 signatures in the district and they have to be certified and then you turn them in. Is that the requirements for an independent candidate or is that the same for everybody? So for an independent uh, of the House of Representatives, it's 200 signatures. And then for the Senate, uh, if you're running for the Senate as an independent, I believe it's a thousand, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Uh, it is very, very ridiculous. I remember I remember um, my time trying to get it and I, I managed to get the signatures um, I think I got up, upwards of 150 signatures. The problem was getting the unique donors because they want you to have so many unique donors. You raise the $5,000, but they said, but then the FBC comes in and says that you can't raise it all from one specific source. You have to raise, I think it was like $500 um, from, I think, I think it was from the 250 unique donors you have to raise, I think, the $500 to be able to get on there. And it was ridiculous. The FEC gets involved and pretty much ruins the whole thing. But, you know, if you go and you do it on a recognized party, you pay your $500 and give and submit, submit your intent to run to the Secretary of State of Mississippi, and you're, and you're on the ballot. You don't have to do any more work after that. You don't have to raise any more money if you don't want to. You can just do it all grassroots and go knock doors if you want to after that. Mm -hmm. it, it just blows my mind how that's our structure. It shouldn't be that way at all. Go ahead, Rhett. He, he left while I was sharing sharing things on Facebook. Well, I'll go ahead and just ask my next question on that particular issue. Uh, seeing that we have so many issues um, with the accessibility to being able to, to run for Congress on different ideas, on different party tickets, uh, I was going to wait until the end to ask this question, but... I almost didn't get to ask the question to my last guest, so I'll ask it to you now. Uh, Congress sh should or should they not have term limits? And if so, what are the number of limits or number of years that you would allow? Absolutely. This is coming from somebody that's 29 years old. Every single person in Congress should have term limits. Uh, I initially thought that it should be at most two terms in the House and two terms in the Senate. And that that pretty much replicates exactly what's in the Congress uh, Constitution uh, president for president. Uh, so that was my initial thought process. And then I did a little bit more research and saw that the the whole argument against the term limits at the federal level was due to their uh, their pension plan their retirement. So according to them, you have to vest for five years. And if you go in there saying, hey, I want term limits, you know, four years, that's it. Because a term for the House of Representatives, two years, it's not four, like original, uh, the Senate on the other side. 
So House of Representatives is only ran, or they can only represent for uh, two years at a time per set per Congress, as they call it. Uh, so that was my initial thought process. So I changed it to three terms. And that would not affect anyone else. I, they couldn't argue against the pension. They couldn't argue against the reasoning. There ne didn't need to be term limits. So that was my thought process after I saw the pension plan. So three, three terms. Everyone I've spoken to pretty much seems to agree with my idea. Three terms, and uh, three terms in the Senate, two terms, I uh, know three terms in the House, two terms in the Senate. And that gives you, if you were to go from the House to the Senate after running out of your terms in the House, okay. that give you a maximum of 18 years that you get that you could serve in, in Congress. Correct. And I think and that's, only a, that. that's a career and you well, retire, not, you're gone. Not only that, it kind of reflects what the Constitution, I believe, is showing. If you look at the uh, requirements of running for the Congress uh, Senate, in regards to the House of Representatives, Senate, you have to be 35 years old. House of Representatives is a little bit more lenient, you be 25. So to and me, in my states, head, what be they 22. Were, huh? In some states, they even let you uh, go to the House of Representatives at 22. Maybe on the state level, but not at the federal. The federal is strictly 25 and 35. And the reason I believe is because they saw that the Senate should be more so guidance. Look, give them the House of Representatives on the other side of the hill. You know, I've had X, Y, Z time in this play field. Let me lead, guide, and direct you as to how to actually do the job. It, it should be a mentor thing. I, I agree. Because I think right now, we're seeing that our entire country is resting on the shoulders of two senators. <laughs> and if this was if this was by house rules, oh man, what the amount of trouble that we would be in if this was on house rules. Mm. And, and, I, and that's sad, man. That that's really sad. When when the shape of your country is resting on two people's shoulders, when it's supposed to be a a country for the people, by the people, of the people. Really, technically, it's resting on, on one and a half, because all <laughs> it takes is one of those people to move over uh, to change their mind, and then vice president come in and and Overruled. and break the tie. Yeah. Well, that's why that's another reason I believe people should do a little bit more uh, peculiarity. Did I say that right? They should do a little bit more digging as to the independent party because the caucuses do. They have so much political influence. And even in the state of Mississippi, uh, until 1980, did you know we were a whole state of Democrats? Yes. And actually, I, I did. I broke down my research even further than that and found that Mississippi didn't vote completely red until 1996. Correct. And even on the state level, we are still Democrat on the state level and in most, in most of our big cities. So did you dig even more and find out that a lot of those Republicans that were that were Republican before 1980 uh, switched over to be Democrat and then vice versa? Mm -hmm. And it, it just shows a bunch of the shifts in the mentality of what happened in the South during that particular time. Mm -hmm. 
Well, their political views didn't change. Their voter bases did. Yes, absolutely. Because, because, you know, the the Republicans, I mean, prior to the 1970s, the Republicans were getting almost the totality of the black vote prior to the 1970s. So after, after obviously the civil rights movement and whatnot, even though Democrats had nothing to do with that, they, they rejected it. It was the only, the only thing that Democrats uh, did during that particular period was occupy the white house. Uh, I think it was uh, Lyndon Johnson and, you know, if it wasn't for Republicans and the bill wouldn't have got passed and not saying the Republicans are any better, but the shift of the, of the black vote to the Democrats from the Republican ticket was massive, was almost almost uh, in a single generation, just swapped over like that. Wow. And I think Bill Clinton, he really t- uh, took the votes to a whole new level. If you want to get down the rabbit hole, I, we can go down the rabbit hole, because if you look back, who was president before Lyndon Johnson? That was... Uh, JFK Kennedy yeah yeah he was firmly in the belief that we should be one united country that we shouldn't even be a party system a political party system as well so prior to his assassination when he went down to Dallas he was actually going to announce that he was going to run as an independent candidate Mm -hmm. that's reflected by his wife In, in my in my honest opinion, Kennedy was probably the last good Democrat president. <laughs> last one of the last good presidents in in general, honestly. I, I would I would happen to agree with that one. I think I think you could probably count on one hand the amount of good presidents we've had since Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. Now. It, a lot of them, there's some things that they've done that, you know, bravo, good job. And then there's some things you just look at them and be like, what the hell are you doing? Like, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I disagree with almost everything that the Bush administration did, but I agreed with the no chut left behind thing, give education just the forefront of everything. I agree with a lot of those things. I disagree with almost, almost every single policy that Barack Obama has but i agree with some not all but some of the uh of the lettering in the aca because i sold it so i know what's in what's in there i know what's wrong with it and i know what junk to pull out of it in order to make it better so i i could agree with some of the things and hate the rest of it and so i'm i'm, I'm on there and i, I think Bill, Bill Clinton, hell, he he had a lot of good a lot of good ideas implemented in a lot of a lot of the wrong ways, and then obviously a lot of his accomplishments got overshadowed by this uh, Monica Lewinsky scandal and all of that other stuff, which I don't think that was really an impeachable offense. No, it was, it was taken too far, and then the Republicans get get uh, get to feel the butt of that when the Democrats do it to Donald Trump. Yeah, it, it's like a, uh, a, a tit for tat. Yeah, talk yeah. of war, man. And it's just, you, you guys are playing these political schemes, these political games. Why don't you just be straight up, be forward, be direct? 
everyone's so proper etiquette and things of this nature. I'm just like, what the hell? Why not, why not just be yourself? Yeah, I think the only legitimate impeachment that we had, uh, and, it, and it still wasn't legitimate because it was set up, was the impeachment of Andrew Johnson, uh, the 17th president of the United States after Lincoln. And they set him up because he was going to try to repeal the Emancipation Proclamation. And so the Republicans uh, set, set Andrew Johnson up to, um, and, you know, basically went, went back and, and leaked certain things to the, to the media, to the press. And then they managed to impeach Andrew Johnson on that charge. It was Ill illegitimate, legitimate impeachment. It was, now, you know. Richard Nixon, it was a pretty good one, too. He, yeah, but he didn't get impeached. He, he resigned yeah, he before resigned, that. Luckily, but he was one of the most corrupt presidents of our time. If you've done any kind of research on Richard Nixon, that guy was bought like I don't know what. I mean, his wife was using uh, intelligence agencies for her own bidding. Yes. I think, you know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of young people, people in our generation don't, don't know as much about uh, Nixon as they would. I think many of us probably get introduced to Nixon from Futurama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the head in the jar. <laughs> go ahead, Rhett, go ahead, do your next question. Okay, so this one's more of a state issue. Just explain your key issues with Representative Palazzo and why you chose to run against him this year. Uh, one of the big things I think is what has he done? Can you name one thing that he has done? I can't even. Can name one thing he's done. He showed up at the Green County Fair. Oh, That's well, where I met him. But he was, me, I really don't know why he was even there. But anyway, me, I've proceed. looked around. There's peers here that's still not down on the coast from Hurricane yes. Katrina. Why is he not up there petitioning for more freaking money? Like his one freaking job to do, and he hasn't done anything about it. Yeah. And the second one is his investigation that, in Congress for misuse yeah. of funds. Yes, we just had our last guest also mention that as well. And again, that's the exact same reason why I chose to run in 2020, uh, starting in 2019. But the same reason why I, ch why I chose to run was because I know I never really had a particular issue with Palazzo, but it was only because I I had never seen the guy, I never heard anything of the guy. I still, if it wasn't for the fact that I was going to be running against him, I would never even know what this guy looks like. Mm. Well, that, that's the thing. What, why are people continuously voting for him? What has he done for your district? Honestly. Exactly. I, I, he's, he's a part of one freaking committee. And guess what that is? Appropriations. The one thing that he can fix and he hasn't done. There appears that, that I've talked to thousands of people here on the coast. And that was one thing that came up so many times was the peers. And all you have to do, increase the funding of the U.S. Coast Guard. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I blame the city of Gulfport and the city of Biloxi mostly on that, but, you know, and the governorship on that, because I, I, took, I took a look at Florida, Ron DeSantis. 
All of those ships are sitting out there in Florida, uh, on the coast of California. So what does Ron DeSantis says? He says, well, we have a port in Florida. Let's have them come in through the Panama Canal. They got to come in past the Gulf of Mexico and go line up in Florida's port. Mississippi has a port. For the longest time, up until after the Industrial Revolution and the uh, and mass transit, the biggest area where, where goods were tradable in the United States was through the Mississippi River. So Louisiana is getting rich off of, Louis, off of the Mississippi River that has our state's name on it. Well, why isn't the governor or the, or the, or the mayors or the congresspersons doing any of the same thing that Ron DeSantis did and open our port up to accept all that business. Here, here's another thing that you need to look at. Where are the hurricane relief funds going? Exactly that too. Where, where are those billions of dollars in federal relief actually going? Because I've never seen it. I still see the roads down here still have broken buildings on it from the hurricane that we had, what, in 2020? Yeah. And it, it, there, that money is being, it, it's being misused is what's happening. And I know, I know you have to, I mean, that's one of my questions. I, I guess I'll jump to that one. I'm going to jump all over the place in this one. Uh, one of my questions on infrastructure, which is how much money is necessary for a comprehensive infrastructure bill? And I'll follow that up with, do you feel that too much time is spent on infrastructure development. Because for example, uh, when I kept back from, when I, when I uh, got back from San Antonio in 2016, they were reconstructing Highway 49 from, uh, from Gulfport to Hattiesburg. When I left, they were doing that. I left in 20, and in, uh, in 2015, got back in 2016, they were doing that. They're still fixing the same stretch of road you, on the way want, to Hattiesburg. You wanna know why? Go ahead. That's a funnel of money that they can get through. That's exactly what it is. Think about it. If an open contract is up for infrastructure, infrastructure development, that's one way that they can funnel money through it and get it passed. The same thing, here's something that you really, really should look into is the uh, broadband access uh, funding. We have been funneled billions of dollars from the FCC to expand rural broadband, but now they're putting in our state legislator to put even more money into it to these co-ops that have already implemented it. So why are you giving them billions of dollars when they've already implemented the infrastructure itself. Yeah, it's I know AT&T uh, did a huge campaign about that, but then the problem becomes that uh, you have to be in a certain part of the, of the city in order to receive it. Like if you're, on the, if you're on the wrong side of the tracks, you don't get access to that, to that uh, internet. You have to go get satellite or, no. or uh, Sparklight or Cable One or something like that. No, see, they're, they're doing it based upon profit margins. That's not what that money is based upon. That money was supposed to be used to actually deploy to the, those areas that you just mentioned, the ones that don't have access to any kind of internet other than satellite or some low providing uh, dial-up. 
That's ridiculous. So uh, back to your question, I'm sorry for kind of getting off the handle there. Infrastructure bill wise, uh, honestly, I've, uh, one, of, one of the questions I've pondered is one that the state government has used multiple times that our federal government is quote unquote uh, spending too much money. So I've always asked myself, if that's the case, why not just send the money back to the federal government if you don't think we should be using that much? But you're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. That's free money. That's free. Uh, you know, I can build up this road and get more people to vote for me, like selection type deal. So uh, honestly, I don't. I've never looked at the numbers as far as infrastructure goes. I know there's a lot of misuse of funds that need to probably be audited. But at the same time, I, I don't have any right to speak upon infrastructure because I've never actually taken the time or the liberty to uh, research into that field. Now, if I was shown the research and the logic behind a certain number, absolutely, I'd be 100% behind it, even if it cost you know, uh, $3 trillion. To me, it makes sense. If it needs to be spent, it needs to be spent. If it doesn't, if you're just trying to give out money, no, let's not do that. Let's cut it back. I, I'm a person of logic and reason, not more so uh, these are the numbers, uh, just sign off on it. No, I want to actually dig into it. Why are we spending this much? If we're going to spend this much, gum, it better make everybody's life in this freaking country better. Well, it goes into the second part of the question is uh, after defining the amount of money that is necessary to spend on infrastructure, how much time uh, is necessary in order to show results? Because I think that's where most Americans get bogged down when it comes to infrastructure is you, we, do we hear infrastructure every election cycle and yet when you go outside and you look at the roads i mean look at you look at jackson mississippi and there's not a single road that you can drive on without risking your car being destroyed and and you know who that goes back to your state government because the federal government they will sue the crap out of the federal government the minute the federal government comes in and says you have two years to implement this the federal government can't do that the state government has to literally allocate all funds. It's in our state constitution. So if you want to look at the blame for the way our infrastructure is, look at the state legislatures because they're the ones allocating the money. Absolutely. Uh, go on, Rick. Okay, this one. COVID-19 related. Please explain the stance you take when it comes to COVID-19 vaccine policy and lockdowns. Okay, so first vaccine policy, that should not even be mandated by, nobody should be able to tell you what you can and cannot put into your body. It's the same thing with drugs, honestly. Nobody should be able to dictate what drugs you can and can't do. Uh, I know plenty of people that have wanted to, you know, experiment with ayahuasca. They were veterans and, you know, suffering from PTSD. 
And now that it's coming out that psilocybin is such a huge relief, something that you could literally grow in your backyard, <laughs> now it's going to be a pharmaceutical patent that they can make money off of. So of course it's going to be pushed. Uh, so no, no vaccines whatsoever. They should not be mandated. If you want to get it, go for it. That's what it's there for. Um, it, it's to make you feel more comfortable at night. But if you do research and you find that it's not worth the, uh, the risk, so to speak, then that should be your choice. Uh, we're not and elaborate more on your question, more so just generalized COVID-19. What do you mean? Okay. Um, COVID-19 vaccine policy. So obviously we saw recently, maybe it's been a month ago now, the Supreme Court struck down the mandate. That was the mandate for the first one was for private businesses with over 100 employees, yeah, I believe. It was, uh, it was a strike down of Biden's uh, trying to get OSHA to implement those. Uh, yeah, so the second one has also been struck down. That's a federal judge has struck down the federal mandate for federal employees as well. Um, I 100% agree with you on the you know, th this is really not even that serious of a disease when it comes to vaccines. No. And they're, they're, they're just trying to get as much mileage out. It seems that way. They're trying to get as much mileage out of it as they can. They want a problem that will never go away. For the first one seemed to me out. to be global warming, and then they changed the name to climate change. So this is never going to change. So we can use well, this I'll, to just regulate I everything want, you I do. I want you to, uh, to know this, Rhett. Have you ever noticed that it's global warming when it's hot, when it gets cold, when it was Whoa. snowing down here uh, last year, down here on the coast, they're like, oh, it's climate change. <laughs> we, we, it was negative it 70 degrees in Chicago. Now, just to be clear. <laughs> and the weather, you know, in one season or one day or one week is not really relevant to the, the concept overall. But the whole idea of climate change, the purpose of the entire idea is to have a problem that will never go away so that they can control everything that you do right. you know you're you're going to live in these single family apartments and high rises and nobody's going to have their own vehicles and everything and all this stuff COVID-19 is the new version of that oh yeah absolutely absolutely 100 percent I said when it first started which was back in what March 2019 was that 2019 that's when no, it first started in uh, no November 2019 it, it first hit us in uh, uh january 27th of 2020 okay so 2020 i said this is going to be something that's going to be the seasonal flu they're they're going to make you get you know vaccinations every single year if you want to prevent it and sure enough it, it's going to be that way i believe and one of the core reasons is due to the fact that they played around with things that they shouldn't have I, yes. I don't know how how and hard. No one's still taking any responsibility for no. it. Fauci, and the NA, nobody the is NHA. going to. Yeah, nobody is going not. to. And, it's and no one's going to be held accountable for it either. Because you have doctors saying, "Oh, that's such a conspiracy theory." Okay, bullshit. Let's look at the science and the data behind it, and all those funds that were funneled to that freaking Wuhan lab. And what you know, all of the doctors that spoke out against uh, Fauci and the NIH and what was going on in Wuhan, they've all 
been fired and lost their uh, yes. position to be able to practice. And yes. those are the ones that have been telling us uh, that this is a mild strand, that it can be treated with things such as Zithromycin, uh, Zithromax, and some of these things that we've already been using that have no negative side effects. And we all, they, you know, Congress is always talking about the science, the science, the science. Yes. I don't think that there's anybody alive that would have a problem with this being a, a seasonal flu booster shot if they would stop calling it a vaccine because yeah. it's not a vaccine if it was right. a vaccine it would be something akin to what happened with polio the measles mumps things like those which took us years yeah true vaccines are full immunization yes this is you gene know, therapy the, this uh the, the the ceo the ceo of pfizer comes out and says that uh the that the vaccine uh offers you little to no protection unless you have three shots of it and even then you can still get COVID. and see back i've here. had COVID twice i have never had i never had the vaccine never been hospitalized and i'm perfectly fine have Dude. no have no lasting impressions of it oh man i i could really blow your mind if you really wanted to so back in when it first started there was this huge thing it was pushing for ivermectin and it got downplayed a lot on social media about being this dewormer. Well, it's actually been shown to be super effective at combating actually, you know, developing and getting COVID. I have not had COVID one single time and I've been taking it prophylaxis since the very beginning. I've traveled through Atlanta. I've gone through Washington, DC. I've traveled extensively. I have, I've, literally put myself in a room where my entire family was uh, infected with COVID and it did not phase me one bit. Could I have been asymptomatic? 100%. Was I ever developed a fever or anything like that as far as symptoms go? No, I've never had COVID. And so, speaking of somebody who's had COVID, it really isn't that bad. It is only bad on people who refuse to, to get up. You know, people that just want to sit there and be a couch potato. That's what that's what I found. If I the more I sat and did nothing, and that was the more it was able to attack uh, my kidneys and fill my lungs. I start mm -hmm. moving around, start exercising. I I felt fine. You know, the first couple of days I felt like crap, but after that it was done. You know, I've never had the flu in all my life. So I had nothing to compare it to, but if COVID is like that, I mean, it's just I, after, after, after about the first three days, it's just a common cold after that, that just lasts for like through two, three weeks. I've had the flu and the flu will put you on your knees. It, it, it's pretty bad if you get a bad case of it. But from what I've seen, I haven't experienced it firsthand though. COVID is not that bad and it's not that serious. It was upplayed for profit margins and pharmaceutical benefit of the companies. Still is, yeah. you know, we've actually got a vaccine right now for this specific strand, this strain, and they're not gonna push it out simply due to the nature of they ordered too much of the old vaccine. So- and, you know, and the biggest issue with the Biden administration on COVID right now, in my opinion, is the therapeutics 
and and uh, some of these pills, you know, just, uh, the Pfizer came off the off a pill, and it's supposed to have like a ninety five percent effective rate against wiping out COVID. Have, have, have you seen the pharmaceutical levels. makeup, the chemistry makeup of that pill? I have not, but I'm saying it's that the, the administration hasn't ordered any of it. It's ivermectin. That's all it is, man. That's, that's my issue with with these. The Biden administration. They've dropped the gun. I mean, people can say what they want to say about the Trump administration, but before before COVID vaccines were even available, he ordered 800 billion doses of them uh, in the summer of 2021. No, in the summer of 2020. And and so by the time the first vaccine became uh, available in December of 2020, he had already had 100, uh, 111 million doses that were already on the way yeah and the biden administration they're they're like oh well we ordered fifty thousand more uh tests like fifty thousand more tests in a country that has three that has 340 million people yeah that's yeah. that's wonderful that's so yeah. great and it, and it, we really need those tests why not like you said boost the uh, actual amount of the uh, vaccination that you buy so you don't have to sit yeah. there. I know at the beginning of the vaccine, it, it, you couldn't get a vaccine to save your life because it, there were so many wait lines. And, you know, we've had X, Y, Z number of cases and we've, it, we're booked up practically. So people that wanted the shot, they had to wait, you know, until it was actually available. So, so in continuation to Rhett's question about mandates, um, Let's talk about mandates on mask, uh, gloves, and these these other arbitrary mandates that have come along with COVID. Yeah, Are yeah, these yeah. things that Congress needs to have the authority to do? They need to go screw themselves. Take that mask, take those gloves, and shove it up their own ass. Because uh, no, thank you. That that you do not dictate to anyone. That is not part of the Constitution. That is not part of your your uh, your calling, I guess you could say, as a representative. What do you say to those people that say that this falls within Congress's purview according to the preamble to provide for the general welfare? The preamble? No, that's, uh, that's not providing for the common welfare when the common welfare, even to this day, would not be capable of preventing COVID with a mask the science shows that uh Absolutely when, agree. when when you have the world health organization coming out saying no one under five should be wearing a mask because it prevents their ability to breathe and then you have a country saying yes all these freaking kids should be wearing masks because it's the best thing for them something's not right there why why are they trying to push it uh, i mean there's many theories behind why but honestly i think it's due to the fact rhett mentioned earlier the the power the authoritarian uh they're trying to shift the public into seeing and perceiving things that they are capable of doing which aren't there they have no power they have no authority to do i agree because uh, the amount of contradictions that have come out between these various different organizations. I don't think that the United States should be funding any of these organizations like, no. like who, like who, 
or, or, or NATO or any of these other organizations that they're not actually listening to our people or letting our people get the information that we need in order to come up with better decisions. But there's so much contradictory information. It seems, and I, you know, I try to skate that line because, you know, cancel culture is out there trying to get rid of people who talk about COVID. But Spotify seems to be on our side. They protected Joe Rogan, so they probably protect little small guys like us. But uh, the thing is, is that when you take a look at what it looks like, it seems that the rules and regulations as it relates to COVID mandates uh, and restrictions like the time in which you have to quarantine, they change based upon whether or not California or New York or some of these big cities are losing money. Uh -huh. Because for the longest time it was 14 days and they dropped it to 10 days and California and New York started losing money. So they dropped it to five days to for essential workers. Uh -huh. And so how do you determine who is essential and who is not? If that's a, that's a, <laughs> do you consider your job essential? I mean, I'd hope every single person said yes, honestly. But that goes That's back whoever to has a job that has a lobbyist in Congress. Yes, and lobbyists should be abolished. That is one thing you I know, believe firmly. I, you know why? Why? Why is it that Congress uh, still still managed to get paid throughout the entire restrictionary period? Now, warranted that Congress uh, takes about what uh, four four or five months vacation every out of and the out of the year. That's ridiculous. But they but they're still deemed essential and they don't even work half the year. Mm. I, I think their salaries should be cut in half as well. Every I think it should go I think they should, I think it should go salary uh, at all. Yeah, I think it should go back getting to getting that freaking message passed. They're gonna be like, We need we can we need something. Well, you're there for representation, you're there for not to get paid, not to invest in some retirement plan, wow. you're there to actually I certainly understand some compensation, but like I, I think the, the whole point when the founder like set the system up was citizen politicians, not career politicians, not people who were going to yes. be coming no. to do this for their whole, you know, this is how they were going to make their fortune. Like the no, point yes. was, you're going to come serve the people. Well, if you exactly. put the price tag on it, it, it gives people motivation other than actually serving in my opinion. Mm -hmm. you, you put the, uh, yeah, yeah. the dollar factor in there, it gives people, oh, I can go and do this. You know, if I can get elected, that's a $200,000 job. Yeah, because, you know, at $171,000 uh, on average, but, and then they also get their per diem and then they get their slush funds and all of this other money that they have to raise. And that's a problem with having a two-year term where you have to run uh, virtually half of the half of your term is spent running for office again. Uh, the problem that I see is that they've been given too much money to do nothing. So yeah. I would say go back to what the state level is, which is you get $10,000 a year plus $150 a day per diem. And that's your salary. Yet again, I don't even think it should be that. I think you should be paid for for your travel to and from Washington, given you know, a susceptible amount of per diem or just enforce the freaking fact that they have a grandstanding dining hall in Congress that you have to eat in while you're in session. How about this? I just randomly thought this up right now, but in order to maintain what the founders 
believe was the appropriate path to take for our country. Perhaps we should have a completely voluntary government that's part-time, that's covered for all their expenses, but they also have another job. They get compensated for all the time they miss that's from their regular job. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually agree with that. But I, I but you know the problem is is when you run for those particular those political offices, they the Congress has barred you from being able to, to work another job. Well, yes and no. It shouldn't be that way. It should be your main focus while you're in session are the people that you serve. And then immediately after you leave session, it should be going back to making a living for your family. But people are relying, like he kind of reflected on, they're relying on that position to pretty much just be their job for the year and then vacate for uh, five to six years out of the month. Exactly. Uh, go on to your next question, Rhett. Where was I? Can y'all hear me all right? Yeah. Seems like it's getting, I can't hear myself as well as I was. Okay. You're just getting That'll old, be man. Number six. Hold that noise. Please explain. No. Okay. Next one. Six. Okay. Now we're going to shift to monetary economics. What are your uh, personal views favorite. concerning the Federal Reserve Bank and private central banking in general? Should we uh, audit or abolish the Fed? Abolish it. I believe in decentralization 100%. Yeah. And you look at how they're trying to take control over Bitcoin and, you know, things, decentralized currency, that just, it sniffs corruption. And it, it, it really goes back to they need to abolish it all. Federal government has no business in banking or centralized yeah. control. 100%. I, I actually believe that because I've listened to and I've done a lot of research into cryptocurrency. The implications for the next 50 to 100 years of human history are that uh, cryptocurrency in general could completely destabilize the power of the nation state and human affairs. Mm. Because they yes, lose sir. control over currency. Yeah. Yes, and if you yes, lose sir. that currency value, if you lose it and the ability to actually trade your well, particularly now, food. when you see what's going on with the cost of inflation, the, the value of the dollar is, is at the lowest it's ever been in the history of the country. And people are, are scared, they're looking for for more secure and safer investments. And now certain cryptocurrencies that have some tangible uh, intrinsic value are being equated with gold and silver as a as a form of uh, financial security. So you can back your IRAs and things with, uh, with parts of it being sent to the cryptocurrency uh, market. So I invested in Bitcoin when it was $500 a coin. Um, so I had an excessive amount of Bitcoin. And when it hit $67,000, I might or might not have sold a couple because that was substantial. And that's, people need to understand about Bitcoin, there is only going to be a finite amount of it. So the more it's grown in popularity, the more it is just like gold. Because at the end of the day, there's only so much that's ever going to be made. Well, I believe that number is 21 million, right? 21 million Bitcoin? Uh, that, 
I think it's right at 21 or 22. So the difference, Bitcoin is actually more valuable than precious metals because it can be used as a currency, whereas you can't go to the Walmart and pay with gold or silver or platinum. Correct. And it's also just in general worth more on a unit to unit basis than gold is. Also, it's not something that has to be moved from one place to another. You don't have to haul a bunch of gold. You know, Bitcoin, it could represent what's going to lead us into the next phase of human history. Yes. And not only that, it takes apart the whole control because when that Bitcoin is yours, it's on the network is yours. Nobody else can have it. Nobody else can even get it from you because it is in your personal wallet. You were the only one that's accessible to it. More on while we're on the economy. Uh, so the economy is often the number one issue for voters. So I'd like you to tell our, uh, our viewers, what economic system do you subscribe to and why do you think it is best for Americans? So uh, that's a tough question because technically capitalism has some good things and it has some bad things. The bad things come when people are greedy as hell. When, when the greed overthrows their ability to see that at the end of the day, it's unfair for me to take advantage of people. Um, I, I've, I've looked at things such as, you know, uh, communism. Not, I'm not saying I'm a communist. I'm, I'm saying I've looked and studied the actual functions of what the government did. And honestly, I think out of all the other ones, it's capitalism and a free market approach, people just have to have integrity. And that's sad to say, I don't, I don't think people will ever have that. So how do you get a true uh, trustworthy system an economic system? What do you say about, um, well, it goes back to Congress and their inability to perform. This is what this follow-up question on this particular uh, thing when it comes to uh, the capitalist approach for free market society, we had laws in place with antitrust and anti-monopoly laws against big big companies and to break up uh, big companies from being able to buy out smaller companies in competition. Congress has completely uh, foregoed that responsibility, uh-huh. I believe, uh, where now we have basically become beholden to Silicon Valley and yep. the big tech companies because Congress refused to uh, implement the antitrust and anti-monopoly laws to prevent Facebook and Google and Apple and all these others in Silicon Valley from buying out all of their competition. Jeff Bezos just spent, I think it was uh, almost $10 billion. You need to look and see where he just paid $10 billion to live. It's about... 10 blocks from uh, the Capitol in Washington, D.C., there's a reason for it. When you have that kind of money, you can pretty much control anyone. And that's a sad thing. That just goes back to, yes, this should be re-implemented, honestly. I don't think companies should be that big because when they're, when they're that big, it, it's corruptible. I, I, I'm not saying that we should limit the size at which a company should grow. But I am suggesting that uh, we or government should get in the way 
of companies that are uh, uh, that are abusing their size to intimidate smaller companies that are in the same market space and uh, same market share. And then at the same time, Congress has to stop giving these large tech companies so much immunity to so many different things. They, I mean, uh, what, is it, what is it, Title VI immunity? That, that, that uh, Facebooks and all of these, uh, no, I can't remember, I don't think it's Title VI, something else. Uh, but they they're basically untouchable on Capitol Hill mm. and that, when it and comes to a lot of the offenses that they that they that they do. Uh, it's like turn the other cheek, man. Like I, 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 <laughs> it kind of just frustrates you even more when you thought when you think about how monopolized our structure and our our society is. It's all controlled by someone else. Uh, you look at Amazon, Amazon has infiltrated probably every single household out there. Uh, so what does Amazon have? Well, they have, if you have an Alexa, they have plenty of information about you, what you like, what you do, how you live. That's all listening to me right back. now. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't even, I don't even uh, have, you know, have my phone listen to my voice most of the time, but uh, it you knows know, what you I, want. I can, yeah, I can talk to you guys about Cheetos, and then when I go on to YouTube, I'm going to get a Cheeto advertisement or Man, video about Cheetos. Man, I'm you no matter what you do. Mm. And, and why? Why do we allow that as a society? Because we were promised what? Quote, unquote, security? Uh, protection from terrorism? Okay. Yeah. That's, really That's the scariest easy. part. Whenever COVID-19 started, just... The most startling thing to me and probably to many other people was how fast people, most people, the majority were willing to give up their security, their, exactly. their freedom for security. Exactly. Immediately. They gave up their, like they, they were jumping. They, they couldn't wait liberty. to do it. And then, and then you see Congress, they, you know, I, I don't want to spread any conspiracies about COVID, but Congress, I believe that they I'm not saying they set up COVID, but I'm saying they set up this as a trial period to see just how far they could push the American Every people American. to 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 uh, to release their freedom to Congress. And that's that's what I was saying earlier about the authoritarian. It, they it, ran as fast as they could to imitate China. Yes, that's horrifying. Yes, and and you know what's crazy. So China implemented a AI-based uh, monetization system. And uh, right now, Amazon is going to police departments actually testing this monetization uh, software. So your police departments right now, they just uh, announced over in, uh, what's that place, Pascagoula? Is it Pascagoula or Ocean Springs? It might have been Ocean Springs. That they're going to start using that monetization to uh, issue tickets to people that don't have insurance. So they're going to flash your tag. They're going to do a broad search against it and see if you have insurance. And then they're going Let to- Let it be known. This is the beginning of the social credit score in the United States. Yes, that's exactly what it's going to be. You're going to be outcast just like china does if you have something if you do something wrong you're going to be 
publicly humiliated and things of that nature. And here goes you know, the credit for sidetracking from sidetracking from our from our interview here. Uh, whatever happened to American exceptionalism? Why is it that all of our politicians seem to think that America needs to be like every other country? We did not become the most powerful country on the face of the earth by being like everybody else. There's the reason why everybody wanted to come to America and immigrate to America so, is because so of America's exceptionalism and because we weren't those other countries. But now here we are, they're pushing us to be more and more like China, like Russia, like the like the European Union. And now we're starting to fuck to see the exact same problems that those countries had. Remember, Greece had a depression a few years ago. And now America's teetering on the verge of perhaps the greatest depression in the history of the world. That's it. I think we're going to see a huge shift in authoritarianism, uh, probably more so. You already common. have. Yes, you do. You see it more and more each day. And the more we allow these same individuals to be elected, the more you're going to see it because they've tasted the power, especially here in the and state of Mississippi. They've, had the, they've tasted the power for 50 years, many, many of these guys. Uh, you know, I even the Supreme Court, I believe, needs to be limited in turn. I, 20, I, don't even, I say 20, I say 20 years instead of lifetime. But the thing, the thing is, you have these, many of these Congress people have been, have been in Congress longer than I have been alive. And many of them have died in office. That is, that is a disgrace for a congressperson to die in office and, and not be of a certain accident. Here, so Congress as a whole, going back to the Supreme Court, I don't think there should be an interpretation of the Constitution. The Constitution was laid out plain as day. Yeah, you can, you can debate the language about it all day, but at the same time, it's going to mean the same thing. Everyone should have free will, liberties. That's it. For, look up the word liberty, and it means nobody can infringe upon you. So when I go and drive the speed limit, yes, the speed limit is a good thing, but that is a violation of my liberty. You've never thought of it that way, have you? I don't, but it does, but it does uh, bring a new, a new level of clarity to certain issues. Yeah. That is a definite limitation of your ability to freely act. Yes, you could break the speed limit and end up probably killing someone if you wanted to, but that's your choice. You're responsible for your actions, correct? Nobody else is accountable for your actions. You are. So the speed limit is technically a violation of your liberty. Hey, uh, Rhett. Your next question. Okay. We're going to move into, I think DeAndre touched on this just a little bit, but tech. So okay. the Silicon Valley tech giants have the right to censor and deplatform whoever they choose to, or should they be regulated as public utilities? That is because that is where 
the majority of our free speech today is taking place. So you understand, like, you understand what I mean? Like Facebook, Twitter, a lot. They shouldn't have the ability of- to actually censor you. Right. Okay. Yeah. They should not have the ability to do that. Yet again, that's more China-based uh, activity. That's what that's uh, going into. You're controlling how people are influenced. You are manipulating people into, you know, understanding what the truth is. The media is doing it as well. So, yeah, it goes back to the shift back to authoritarianism and communism. We're, well, and it's interesting to me that, that the main defense they use is actually quite a libertarian defense. Like we're private companies. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. We can, which on the but, surface, I totally understand, but it's gotten to the point where they've grown to basically where they are public utilities and they must be regulated as such and have to abide by the first amendment like any public utility would have to. So uh, one of the things that you don't hear about is the subpoenas that they are given to hand over all of their data and give pipelines. Oh yeah. I've seen those. I've definitely seen those. So that's one thing that helps them have that power and helps them have that limitation ability is the fact that we have these intelligence agencies going around saying, Oh, this is a great tool to actually have. Well, they're the richest companies in the world. Yes. Of course, they're going to be the ones that the CIA or the FBI goes to if they want to find out about anybody. Well, they actually have uh, taps on every single cell phone. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's open out there. You can actually look that up if you want to every cell phone none of this is hidden actually you can look all of this up in fact most of us know that we're being tracked on a daily basis and we just don't think about it no because we have to move on with our lives we have to we have to get done what we have to get done but you know everything we search they know everything everywhere we are they know and, everything and, we say and see that's why i'm a firm believer in passing something that more so your private data is part of your private uh ownership people can't take that they, they, that's ridiculous. The, the, the fact that people can make money off of your life and the way you live and your actual information, that's, that's a no-go. That is your information, not somebody else's. Or the fact that they started, they actually started selling our data before we even knew it was valuable. Shouldn't we first have the chance to sell it? Well, that's, the well that's the, the thing that's coming in with web 3.0, which I mean, we're in the transition period now, but a lot of that technology is, I'm sure you probably know this, is based on blockchain. So we're going to actually have control over what we search and our data and whatnot. And that's why you see so many pushes at the congressional level to block that type of uh, technological advancement. They don't want you to have control. That's why the whole pushback against Bitcoin and everything else is so... Uh, rampant is because you've seen such a technological leap in the blockchain technology. It's leading to being uh, more so acceptable as a uh, designer, a developer, to create blockchain apps that people are in control of it at every section. So you have blockchain apps now. They're they're called D apps, and they're they're getting a huge push right now. But Congress wants to limit that. That is a no-go to me. 100% agree. agree, They they don't stand to benefit whatsoever from that. So why would they be for it? They they do stand to benefit from it because they're losing their ability to control. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, I meant yeah. the opposite of what you yeah. just said. Yeah, you meant. And why would they support it? Because it, it can only hurt them. That's yeah, what precisely. I mean. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Was well, the same thing with medical marijuana in Mississippi. It was going to hurt their ability to make uh, illegal funds. And if you look at what Mississippi is, you know, most profitable in, it's private prisons, and uh, I guess you'd say illegal drugs, honestly because you don't technically see that money it's thrown somewhere well the black market is i can't speak specifically to mississippi but it's larger than the gdp of the united states yes correct and that's why there there's a lot of corrupt politicians i i won't go into that but if you follow the the dollar you'll see you'll, you'll have a lot of eye oh yeah guys um Here's another another throwback to uh, to economy. Uh, I think you kind of touched on it when we were talking about Bitcoin, but I want to get a more in-depth answer. Uh, what ways do you think are most efficient and effective in increasing America's economy and at the same time protecting America's economy from collapse? Oh, why would you want to protect it, honestly? Oh, protect it for, not, not for America's sake, but for America's citizens, people who have a vested interest in the global market or the American economy because they've invested certain portions of their retirements or whatnot into the market. And now's the time you probably want to start moving that retirement, honestly. But at the, I've always been a firm believer in physical uh, investments. So I've always bought, you know, silver, gold until I saw the shift in uh, digital currency being uh, somewhat, it, it made sense to me at the time and it paid off greatly. But how can you control what you think is yours, but at the end of the day, isn't? Who gets your money when you die? The government gets 42% off top. Correct. They, they bury the, the death tax. Who gets your property when you die? Uh, depending upon, upon whether or not will. you have. Yeah. You know, uh, not so much the will, but depending on whether or not you have set any beneficiaries, then your estate, it's divvied out by the government. If they can't find your first next of kin, they take it. Okay, and, and who they, gets and your debt when you die? Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam doesn't get your debt. No. Your family does. Yeah, that is true. I remember uh, a case where I was selling life insurance and a person died. And before they, we could give them their life insurance policy, it had to be divvied out to the debtors that they are owed and then the remaining portion of it goes to correct the, to the uh, beneficiary yeah you tax it well you pay out the benefit uh the debt then you tax it and then once the taxes are taken and everything then you can ration it out mm -hmm. but that, to me yet again that goes back to who's in control of it at the end of the day is that your money well, it's your it's your money but the government, they, when you have, when you got into the, into the open market, and this is, this is one of the big issues that I have 
uh, with it is you're putting it into the market because you're trying to play smart. You're trying to build yourself a proper investment. But then here comes the government and they come along and they decide to put arbitrary penalties on you mm-hmm. for wanting to pull your money whenever you want to yep. and want to use your money however you want to. And, th- and so now, now you become afraid to use your own money. Well, and if you wait too long, it isn't your money anymore. If you pull it too early, it's not your money anymore because of the way that they have it set up with these different yep. types of penalties. And that's and why they're seeing the break in uh, Ross. I, I thought Roth IRA was a perfect thing for retirement. And now they're going to start being more harsher penalties. They're actually talking about doing it away with it altogether. Yeah, and one, seen... of the, one of the big benefits of the Roth was the fact that it was post-tax. The fact that yeah. I would not have any type of taxable obligation when I was retired, that's yeah, not a phenomenal. You pay you pay taxes when you put the money in, as opposed to paying taxes when you took when you take it out. So that way, that penalty would not apply. Yeah. But now they've come in and they tried to re-engineer the law mm-hmm. in order to take the money because Uncle Sam said, "Well, people are not getting the traditional IRA anymore, and people aren't retiring at the same age that they were before." So we're missing out money. So we're gonna we're gonna adjust some things. So we know one of the things that they did uh, when I was working as, as a life insurance agent was that they adjusted the penalty to if you don't pull your money out by the age of sixty nine and a half, your tax. Then the government is the government can tax it at a rate of up to thirty something percent. Yeah. Yeah. This is coming from somebody who pays buku in terms of federal and state taxes. Uh, that goes back to another uh, key point that I actually wanted to bring up was this, this elimination of the income tax in Mississippi. That is the... I agree. I, agree. I think that's spooky. business. That, so think about it. When you, we just had the census, and the census numbers can be looked up. Who is the biggest group in Mississippi? And who is the smallest? Well, the smallest is your 18 to 35-year-old working class. Your biggest is your 50 to 69 plus, the ones that probably don't have any kind of taxable obligation. So your 18 to 35-year-olds see this state as being something that's a horrible place to live. I'm getting out of here because the salary sucks. So yeah, but you, when, you get to, when you get to that age where you get to retire, Mississippi is the best state in the union to live in because the right dollar value is the dollar value is the highest and and everything's cheap. So, so now you come in here from New York where you're where you're used to paying two million dollars for a home and you come down here and get one for for one hundred thirty three thousand. Yeah, and you know you come in here and retire. Oh, it's wonderful because then you get all the benefits. But young but young people, they I mean. Mississippi has a, not only do they have a problem when it comes to the tax, to taxable obligations for young people, but Mississippi particularly, uh, I'm not sure, Red's been to a lot more Northern states than I have been, but just in general along along the South, Mississippi and Alabama, but particularly Mississippi, uh, the rate of career progression is abysmal for young people. It's non-existent. When I first exactly. got into my career, I moved to Georgia 
And when I moved to Georgia, I took my first job. I moved three times. It, it comes to, you know, personal, uh, I guess you'd say drive. Um, I, I will tell you that my salary tripled within six months of being in Georgia. And when I got that experience at that next step in the, the ladder, I was able to come back to Mississippi because I could dictate that. I learned the ins and outs outside the you know, whole political structure of Mississippi and saw that there was better ways of doing things. So not only were they obligated, they had to pay me to come back to Mississippi. Otherwise, I told them to screw themselves and I'll just sit back on what I was making. So. Do you have anything anyway, to add to that, Rhett? Because I, you know, you've been to the north. Is it is it different, or is this something that's unique to uh, to the south, particularly unique to Mississippi when it comes to forward momentum in the in the, in the workforce? I would say that issue really has to do with what industry you are in. But I've lived in. Let's see. Of course, I'm from Mississippi, Hattiesburg originally. I've lived in Louisiana, Missouri. Arizona and Connecticut. Now, Connecticut was my least favorite. That's where I started college, actually, to University of New Haven. That's where I did my first year. I hated it there. It has the highest taxes in the country. Everybody has a great job. Everybody makes a lot of money, but no one has any money because they tax the hell out of everybody. But um, forward momentum, certainly. I had a radio show at the college radio station up there at UNH, which was the number one college radio station in the state. Um, so forward momentum certainly exists up there. I was even talking to another student there who was involved in voice acting in New York City. I lived about 45 minutes away from New York City and I was helping him with ideas and stuff, but I ended up moving so but the point is, the forward momentum it certainly exists in a place like that, close to New York City. I don't know what the case is now. That's been almost 10 years. But I think that's always been the case well, if for you, Mississippi. If you look at the age uh, differentiation here in Mississippi, it goes back to that, too. Uh, the geographics, these people get into their 30s, 40s. You know, they want to continue making their salary so they can't be booted out of their job. You can't have someone younger coming in and taking their job. So then you had the so-called slogan, you've got to pay your dues, so to speak. Have you ever heard that saying? Yeah, I think all of us have. Yeah. You got to pay your dues. You know, you got to make nothing. Yeah. For the first okay. five, 10 years. Well, when I first got into the uh, IT section, I had a hard time transitioning because you had a bunch of those older people saying, this is the way we do things. Well, the thing with technology is it evolves. And so with evolution comes adoption and adaptation. You have to adapt to the new technology to be freaking uh, yeah, anything. Absolutely. And what's the worst so, generation that's been successful? The most unsuccessful in doing so? The one that still holds on to the power, the baby yeah, boomers. the baby boomers. I've said the same thing. They need to let go. Of, I hate to say this, but honestly, our world will be a better place when they are all gone yeah. and they stop pushing these ideologies, their way of thinking that nobody else has a different perspective. Everyone has a perspective and opinion and it should be valued. Well, if you look at something like university presidents, 
the vast majority are still baby boomers. They need to give that over to Gen X and millennials now. Well, they say, oh, our, our generation is the worst. No, ours isn't. Ours hasn't ran Man, down. Everybody, every, every generation thinks that they are smarter than the one that came before them and wiser than the one that comes after them. That's just a cycle that never ends. But it's time. I don't know if I'm ready to surrender that much power to to the millennials just yet. Because you're a millennial, bro. Listen, DeAndre. I I, I know that. Hold on, bro. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me just say this. Just look. I know that us, especially, we don't always feel that we identify with millennials. But we're at the tail end of the millennial generation, and that means that we have to be a leader for Gen Z. Correct. That I, I 100% agree with that. But until the shift happens with millennials, because it seems like, I don't know why, but it seems like, and according to the studies done by people like Walter Williams, Thomas Sowell, Milton Friedman. Those uh, are the minority, man. Because the positions are not the ones that are in I'm, our... I'm, they, they I'm saying according to their studies, it seems to be that for whatever reason, typically around the age of 35, most people who start off with this neo-Marxist viewpoints, which are which is what happened with our with our millennials, the, the vast majority of us, that that the brain seems to switch at around 35. So, just so kind you of wake look up at to reality. the reasons for that. Think about it. They haven't had the chance to actually be responsible for other people. Exactly. When exactly. you get to that age, you have a family, children, people that are looking up to you. The same thing with Generation X, Millennial X, until they have the ability to step in that leadership role, they're not going to know. Yeah, but I want them to kind of get there before, because if you, if you just plop them into it right now, you're going to yes, have a bunch I'm of not, AOCs. I'm not for that. <laughs> you know, that, we, that's what I'm afraid we, of. We who as a society need to step in giving more responsibility to people, yes. giving them the ability to step in and have those leadership roles. These things that are restricted to us at this time, like right now, as an independent and getting all these requirements met, that's ridiculous. You're making yes. it a loophole to jump through that's impossible to squeeze in. And the point I'm trying to make is that these requirements and the fact that we're being fenced off from these certain positions or areas, those are vestiges from the last generation and they need to be on their way out. Yes. I think they are, but it needs to be more so the case. And the mid-range to older millennials, they're at the 35 and older range now. And I think the point of what I would say me and DeAndre are doing, and you, because you're only a couple years older than us, is we actually want to steer the direction of the future of humanity. Because in the next 100 years, our generation and and Gen Z they're going to take over. We're going to take yes. over. And, and you know, it is, it is sort of become don't. an obligation for, for us, for us, our generation has become an obligation. And as George Washington would say, uh, it is our duty. There's no, there, it is, there's no thanks needed for this. It is duty that, that necessitates that we, that we do this. Because you believe in the words of the constitution, you believe exactly what the founding fathers were trying to do and that's something that's i wish it was more so yeah, uh, i think it's the best that humanity's ever done yeah 
yes, and, and they want to birth me away from it. <laughs> and it blows my mind why people aren't open to hearing the fact that they're being, you know, it's taken like, advantage yeah. of. Man, if you, I'm totally well, open to hearing to, a better idea, but I just haven't heard one yet. I hate to interject, but we're going to segue into Rhett's next question. And that segue is with this. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of uh, Staff, General Mark Milley, has just told that uh, it is possible that within the next 72 hours, the full-scale Russian invasion will be in Ukraine and that Ukraine's capital will fall in less than 72 hours. This goes to Rhett's next question. So ask away, and I want some. I want to talk about this. Okay, so... This is an issue that is particularly relevant to us Mississippians because, as far as I know, the first one who even brought up the idea of a nuclear response was a freaking who, senator in Mississippi. Well, yes, Roger Wiggins. Yes. Dude, well, come on. Feel, like, you never but, hear anything about anybody in Mississippi in Congress. And the first time they say anything is they want to start fucking nuclear war. Look, what Roger a- Wicker did not come up with that on his own. He's he parroting what he heard too. in the upper echelons of the establishment neocons. So should the U.S. defend Ukraine against Russia, Taiwan against China? And if so, is it worth the risk of nuclear conflict or another Hell, world war? No. Hell no. So first of all, first, let's get back to the America we were prior to being uh, political police and things of that nature. Uh, let people defend themselves. If there is wrongdoings, yes, absolutely. I think we should step in and say, hey, that's kind of wrong. But at the same time, why jeopardize the entire civilization as we know it over the fact that, oh, you overstepped the line. You can't step over the line. Yeah, I want to say this. The president of Ukraine actually told Biden to, like, stop. He said, just relax. There's nothing going on. So that goes to my, uh, to my question on military, which is, should American troops be policing the world, yes or no? No, absolutely not. No. I agree. Absolutely. That is okay, a waste. Let me, I just want to say something short about that particular topic, because this relates kind of to my last question, but as far as world powers go, China has the most manpower. But we outpace them by far technologically. And that makes us the most powerful nation in the world. So to a certain extent, that does make us responsible. But that does not make us responsible to clean up everyone else's mess. Mm-hmm. So, And even yeah. messes that we made ourselves. And not, not only that, but I would also say that 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 because of the technology uh, technological advancements that we have had that that means that we more particularly do not need such a heavy troop presence everywhere else around the world technology if if we are going to uh, and this is something that i think people don't give president trump enough credit for was the idea of space being a a battle zone uh right now is because if we are really wanting to reduce the amount of casualties that can happen we have to take advantage of the things that technology can do for us right now we can get so much information and data from technology right now 
that we don't need to have troops in certain areas. For instance, uh, if if Biden had listened to his uh, his staff on the Department of Defense, we would not have had the casualties that we had with that uh, with that ISIS uh, leader uh, suicide bombing himself because the initial uh, the initial plan was to could do an airstrike from a drone that would have reduced the casualties to only the target necessary. But because they opted to do with a raid, for whatever reason, they decided to go with the raid, it wind up alerting the terrorists to their presence and he blew himself up and killed his family and everybody on the third floor. We don't need to take those risks when we have technology to supplant those risks. Now, are there areas in which American troops need to be on the ground because technology can't get there or the, where there's a high degree of magnetic interference and stuff like that? Absolutely. But let's focus our troops on those areas, just like on our southern border. There's areas where we can't have wall. We need troops here's, uh, there. Here's what I think we need to do as a society is shift more so on one country being the police establishment and look at more so the world being a police establishment. And we all agree that, you know, going in and murdering people is wrong, right? Hopefully. Well, at the same time, let's step in and say, okay, well, let's all contribute to, you know, society as a whole and, you know, let's go handle it all together. How can people stand a chance if the world's against them? Well, I think that goes to what I said earlier about America funding some of these organizations. We're, we're footing the bill for for NATO. NATO defense. Uh, for, we're footing the bill for uh, for NAFTA. We're footing the bill for everything, for who, for all these things. And they don't do their part at all. Mm-hmm. And it's because Congress is a shitty negotiator where they basically have abdicated the responsibilities of all these other nations to protect and defend themselves for us to defend them. Not only are we defending them, but they're not paying us to defend them. We're paying them to defend them. We're paying them. Now, one of the things I will say, your intelligence agencies do have a lot of influence. And so think about it. If, If you have an issue with another particular conflicting nation, if you have a military establishment, a military base, they have a place that's kind of like a home base. And it's just wrong, honestly. We, we as a society need to get out of this ideology that one country is better than the other. I believe that we all can get, we can all get along. There's no sense in not getting along. Now, I, I love America to death. But this whole Russia thing, I I mean, a couple of years ago, it was China, then it's Russia, then it's China. It it goes back and forth. It just, it depends on the agenda. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to live with them on this planet anyways. We're not going to. I think that's uh, one of the, one of the things that most bothered me about uh, the Trump administration or at least the way Congress treated the Trump administration and its relationship with Russia, not that there was any Russia collusion, but the fact that 
when Trump made suggestions of including Russia and back in the G7 to make it the G8 again, mm -hmm. and having them come over to the White House for meetings and things like that, are they our biggest, uh, they're our biggest uh, global competitor when it comes to military might, because Russia's got more nukes than we do. Even though the nukes aren't as powerful as ours, it doesn't matter when you have 8,000 and 5,000 respectively to each country. Uh, so having them at the table where they feel like they are a part of the conversation, I, I think there's nothing that can ever go wrong when you have them being there. I think what I think the biggest issue and problem that led to the rise of Hitler in Germany was the fact that after World War One, Germany basically became a recluse country where it, it, they, they just kind of got left to their own machinations. And over time, Hitler was able to seize power on that. So another thing that led to that was the fact that all these nations were saying, you owe us retribution. Uh, let's just drain you of everything that you have and make your country the poorest thing the world has ever seen. Yes. Not more so healing and saying, okay, what happened happened. Let's take it and, you know, welcome back to the world. We forgive you. Everybody makes mistakes. I, I know I have. So the fact that we can do that to another country, much less another human being, is just beyond me. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I saw very good leeways with that well, during the Trump administration, particularly uh, how he began to build that relationship with Kim Jong-un in South mm -hmm. Korea, not South Korea, North Korea, kind of bringing them back into the world order. And same thing with Russia, trying to get them back into the G7. Into, um, into the G8 and you're trying to bring them back to the table where eventually the goal is that now we're in talks now we, there's no longer we, a need for the sanctions because now you're at the table we can talk we can reduce these uh, these sanctions and these tariffs so, so what are they trying to establish in North Korea well they're trying to have a voice on the world platform is what they're trying to establish that's why they're developing nuclear weapons to defend themselves and to show that, hey, we actually have a voice and we have, you know, issues that how the world is actually going about doing things. Why aren't we actually, you know, openly communicating with these countries and doing that? Uh, one thing I will say, and you might uh, look at it kind of weird, but I think the United States should take a firm step in denuclearizing. I think we should take all of our nuclear missiles and totally denuclearize. You think we should do that before anyone else does it? Correct. And the reason why is because what uh, what you had mentioned earlier was the fact that we are the most technologically advanced country. And if you take that first step, sometimes it's scary, but at the same time, it gives the example. It seems like a 50 50 shot to me. I, uh, honestly, yeah. I, Go ahead. which is what you predicted. I. I think that's the, the 50, 50 chance. That's too big of a risk, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I think you, I think you take that route after you've developed a Death Star in space or something, where you can no. just target people very specifically with technology and not have to deal with all the collateral damage. But you're, but you're acting upon fear right now. 
is the fact that if you take away the nuclear weapon, what do we have left? Well, that's what I mean. If, okay, uh, before, aside from nuclear you... weapons, Russia has more than us by a little bit, but let's go to aircraft carriers. They have one, I believe, one or two. The rest of the world combined doesn't have as many war aircraft carriers as we have. So aside from nuclear weapons, we could still defend ourselves forever yeah. against everybody. But that, that's, what, that's what I mean by replacing replacing uh, the nuclear arsenal with something else that is more precise and, and deals less collateral damage before we deal with the denuclearization. I think there's you need nothing to, be able to set that there up. Is, there's, what you just described doesn't exist. I know. That's what I'm saying. Before you go that route of denuclearization with America at first, as the first country to do that, you need to be able to replace it with something something else, something that's... I don't think it's such a problem that we have. Every country in the world could have nukes. Using them is the problem. But why are we... Why are yeah, we... Using them is the problem, I agree. But then when you have people in office like 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 roger wicker and and biden and we're on the verge of that you know let's just so this is the problem okay this look for the last 75 years i'm going to use the words of eric weinstein he says we've been in the big sleep i agree with that statement for the most part since world war ii and the cold war we haven't as far as kinetic energy goes we haven't used it but it's grown as potential energy in the background and our power compared to them is far greater as a world, as a planet, as a species. And so during that time, we might not have used the power that we've grown, but it has increased and the danger has increased exponentially. But denuclearization it certainly poses a problem unless it all happens at once. Correct. If you meet one-on-one -on -one with all the other leaders and say, let's take a firm step for humanity as a whole. Yeah, but then, uh, then, you, then you run into the problem of trust because the, it, well, the, how, how do you monitor whether or not all um, nuclear missiles have been completely... Um, uh, have you uh, reduced? Have you done much research into uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon? No, Red you probably have. has. Yes, absolutely, I have. So one of the things that they are notorious for are the ability to shut off the control of nuclear weapons. Now, what does that tell you as just a regular thinker? If someone has the capability of doing that, if someone is actually monitoring the actual uh, nuclear facilities and showing you that they have the ability to turn them off and that they don't like the fact that they're there. They're There's not only two anything. possibilities from that. There's only two. And the first one is, well, if they didn't, if they weren't ours, then of course the assumption should be that nobody else has technology more advanced than us. So it must be aliens from another planet but the second is somebody else has not they're lying about it i can say with 110 percent accuracy no one else on the surface of this planet has that i think that's more likely to be the case than not also 
So I, I will I will substantially back up myself when I say that there is no way in the world that that came from the us as a society that technology doesn't even exist in our physics russia and china are still mostly using cold war technology if we don't have it they don't have it correct and i also think that the ability for them to i say them as in the unidentified craft yeah um if they have the ability to do the things that they are capable of doing, we are just pawn scum to them. It would seem so, but also when you look further back in history, well, let's not go that much further back. Let's say the forties, I believe it was 1948 when the Roswell crash took place. And why did that crash? First they said that it was a flying saucer, but then later on they came out and in the press said that it was a weather balloon. balloon, which was complete bullshit. Let's and then clear. you had that that uh, document that documentary about the Roswell incident with the alien autopsy, which wasn't wasn't let's be let's be honest, it wasn't a real uh, autopsy because so, there was technology in there that wasn't available in the forties. But I mean, I I I am not opposed to that idea. I mean, Rhett, Rhett knows that I'm a very avid cryptozoologist when it comes to the study of of Sasquatch studies of, uh, of mermaids and studies of things that what it that uh, science doesn't consider anything that people be, don't think really exists could possibly yeah, that, exist. Not, not that people don't think exists that science says doesn't exist. Well, um, as an institution, yeah. But you know, here's but here's the thing: science has said that about various different species of animals and plants that we now know do exist and that the locals have known have existed for a long time, but the scientific community did not say they didn't exist. For instance, uh, the gorilla, the silverback gorilla for, for ages, the people over there in uh, the Congo basin and stuff like that said that, oh, they, that gorillas exist, that gorillas exist. But it's, uh, mainstream science said that no, these don't exist. The largest the largest ape species is is chimpanzee. There's no there's nothing else. And then uh, what was it? I think it's like the late 1920s. We find the African gorilla. It exists, and the people have always known it existed. Then we had uh, the giant squid. We've always had the tales of giant squid. Giant squid. This and people were thinking that well maybe it was just a mutated humble squid that had. Uh, that, that had got gigantism, but we've always heard it, the story, and then finally we get live imagery of giant squid. We get all of this stuff. There's things that aren't supposed to exist that wind up existing. Uh, the Tas- Tasmanian tiger is supposed to be extinct, but then we see video where it's possibly still alive. The coleocan supposed to be extinct 65 million years ago and it's still alive people have been eating it over in africa for a long time well here here's how you've got to view it from a logical perspective if a you know quote-unquote alien you know landed in your yard tomorrow and the entire world found out that there was another species say this alien came out and said you know the the person that you deem as god well, that was me. I, I created you from genetic experimentation. How would the world react to that? 
that goes along with some of those ancient astronaut theorists uh, things. I, I used to love watching them, but you know, the, I think that's one of the issues with that we find out with a lot of the crypto zoological uh, things, or really crypto science in general, uh, because uh, we saw what happened when uh, what was it when Noah uh, was doing those hypersonic tests underwater and it went might up beaching a lot of whales uh, dec a couple decades ago and the public outrage was tremendous and then I remember hearing uh, a report about the eruption of Mount St. Helens when they were moving some of the animals and stuff and they found uh, the military found burnt species of of uh, Sasquatch and one of the military people uh, was reported to say that they were told not to report this information to the public because they feared that the outrage that the society would have if they knew that there was another species of human-like primate out there that were being treated with such horrific scientific experimentation. Uh, akin to what happened in Auschwitz and stuff like that, where they were experimenting on the Jews in the most heinous ways to come up with all these different uh, medicinal things, you know, like penicillin and Pepto-Bismol and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I agree that the public outrage uh, over certain things may lead to a lot of these things being covered up by the, by the government. Uh, and I think uh, what Tucker Carlson's been doing a a big a big spill about about uh, UFOs and stuff like that lately about the government finally coming clean on some of those things. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get any more information than than just surface level stuff on it because they don't know any information. I think that if if they know anything at all, they know a lot more than the surface. And in, in my opinion. Here's what you need to get into the nitty gritty of every single one of these so-called, uh, I guess you'd say interactions, how have they played out? Uh, well, you read the documentation and you find out that we were actually showing hostility towards them. That's what happened in Roswell. I mean, this is conspiracy, quote unquote, but we actually shot that thing down. Well, think about the the perspective of the outside entity uh you just shot down their friends and now you're quote unquote experimenting on them how how would that make you feel it does add a little extra perspective to it but at the same time um i would say if they are more advanced than we are and they had to start off primitive it's a similar ways that we are and so the idea of flying over space that uh, is militarized with their technology, they, they would know that. I think it would be a pretty foolish thing for them to do. Well, think about it. it if they were such uh, intellectual beings, this could be more so like a zoo experience for them. Uh, a place That's where been the just, theory. Yeah, a place where you just uh, look I down. I think this say, topic, the UFO, UAP topic, is far too dense to discuss in a few minutes and it's really something yeah. that deserves an episode of its own 
Yes, I mean, I, I would love to have you back just just to talk about those things. But we're we're reaching our our uh, our time limit here. So let's let's go on. Uh, Rhett, next question. Okay. Well, we're going to circle back around to the economy, at least on my list one last time. What is your view? And I pretty much could understand what it is by now, but explain in detail what your view is on the proper role of government in the economy, if any at all. None. The government has no hands in the government uh, and in money or currency. Um, that's why it was so restrictive in the constitution, I believe. Um, I think they were capable of actually printing currency, but could not actually implement it. I, I believe taxes, especially uh, private property taxes and um, income tax is a complete throwaway of the constitution. Um, I think it, it stemmed or sourced from, uh, who was it? I think it was Alexander Hamilton that it stemmed yes, it from. Was. Yes, ha Hamilton is uh, many of the ideas that precursor the Federal Reserve Bank came from Hamilton. Yes. And really it came from not, not so much from Hamilton himself particularly, but the direct opposition uh, to it with John Adams. Yes. So uh, Hamilton was also one to suggest that, you know, uh, people in power should have power their entire lives, that they die as in I, power. As I recall, Hamilton, well, John Adams also had that idea too when he decided to become, uh, you know, with the Federalists. But as I recall, Hamilton also was the first to really make the suggestion that America needed to incur debt so that it could be recognized by other nations. Yeah, because that's a great thing to do. And so on economy, this will be my last economic question. And I have a couple of questions on tax policy, but on economy, the cost of inflation has reared its head. And while the overt effects are an increase in prices, and we all know that, that you know, we all know and we feel those things, we see those things, we go to the store. But as you know, and I know that these are, that these underlying effects are here to stay for a long time. So what solutions do you bring to the table that will deal with inflation in the short term? Because I don't believe that we can deal with inflation in the long term right now with, uh, with many of the underlying effects of it. I, I believe it's gonna take a lot to get back on track or even get the value of our dollar back uh, to where it was. Um, people have become too greedy, uh, too profitized. Um, you've got these companies that are making billions upon billions of dollars. Um, and it, it, that goes back to, well, should you split up the companies? Uh, yeah or no. There, there's multi aspects, multi facets to both arguments. Uh, I guess it becomes which one is the best for the country and which one aligns more so to what the founding fathers wanted. Uh, did the founding fathers, you know, envision the fact that there would be a million uh, worker force company in America? I don't know. I sure as heck wish I knew. But is it our job as a government, as a federal government to step in and say, okay, that's a little bit too much influence, too much power, too much hold? Or is it just the way of the 
capitalistic society? Is it part of the market? Do we just let it play out and let them have all these freedoms and liberties? But if you could implement um, a policy or a bill today, if you were in Congress and you could put a bill on the floor today that would address some of the issues with inflation just on the short term to help mitigate, you know, to help try to get some of the stress off of the American people's pockets, what might that bill entail? That bill, honestly, if it was my bill, I'd tell them that the federal government cannot and will not touch or try to uh, implement any type of uh, decentralized currency, that they cannot have any type of control or manipulation of. Rhett, because next question. This is my last question. Okay. How should the United States determine which countries actually deserve foreign aid and which don't? <laughs> Honestly, um, that's a really good question. Yet again, I would go back to I don't think we should be the police force of the world. Um, if the people of that country region aspect don't like the government that they've institutionalized, then why shouldn't they have the right to actually rebel against it? So if you can't control people based upon the fact that there's military presence there, then why should there be military presence? There? But you what certainly the don't think that every separatist group within every country deserves our support, do you? No, negative. No, absolutely not. But that goes back to we as a society, we as a world need to be the, the police force. Not only does it give more so checks and balances, but it gives the fact that everyone is stepping in and contributing, that we're all on the same page. And then you'd get away from all these political motivations and you know uh, possibilities of nuclear war. Let's use an example like this is just random. I just thought this up. But a country like Japan, okay, in World War II, at the end of World War II, they didn't absolutely, they certainly were not any threat. They weren't benefiting us at all. They weren't a threat, but they weren't benefiting us. But we chose to support them in the aftermath, unlike Germany in World War I, who had to rebuild themselves and thereby was overtaken by a totalitarian leader. But Japan, they actually adopted these Western principles and look what they've become now, a technological powerhouse. And why are we still But a country there? like that deserve our support in the aftermath of a global conflict. If, if they're the willing. Are, yes, if the people are actually wanting it. But see here in Iraq, I, I, I don't know how much you know about Iraq or Iraqi culture, but we came in there, we were hated. They hated American people. They are, that's why the Taliban took back control is because that's their, their land. That's how they believe. They didn't want us being a part of that. So how can you influence or try to push people in the right direction if they're unwilling to? It, it, the old saying is you can lead a dog to water, but you can't make them drink. Well, that's, have you ever watched or read Black Hawk Down? Negative. Okay. Black Hawk Down is a perfect example of this idea right here somalia this was the battle of mogadishu 
I read the book. I never watched the movie, but there are several quotes throughout the book that demonstrate perfectly that one clan leader would fall and another would rise, but the whole culture, the people, the citizens were all caught up in hatred and fighting. And that that's ultimately the bedrock of the society that you live in is the people, the individual citizens and how they live their lives. Yes. You see it going on right now in America between black and whites. I mean, to me that it, the whole racial war was just something that could have been completely turned away from if we all would have just been accepted and understanding and love. So it, hatred has no place in, in modern society. I don't know why people want to hate and judge and things of that nature. You have no right to do that. So it, it, yeah, it, it goes back to the culture itself. If they're willing to actually, you know, say, hey, we don't want to be controlled by this, you know, uh, chieftain. Come help us out. Absolutely. That's what I think the situation actually is, because if you remember Andrew Breitbart, before he was killed, something that he always used to say was that politics is downstream from culture. And so politics is not the first place that these ideas of wokeness start to surface. No. They respond to something that took place far earlier in the history of the culture, which has started really in the universities back in the 60s, maybe even before that. But the point is, the political leaders are just responding to something that's been happening within the pulse of the culture for a long time. And it's, well, right here, where we are, where we sit in history right now is the crossroads. And I know people say that every time there's an election, every four years in the United States, you will hear people say, this is the most important election of your lifetime. We don't want to hear that anymore. We're tired of it. This right here, this is not about an election. This is not about the next four years or the next two years. The thing is the generation. This is about the gap right here that's happening in human history with the generations and the decisions that they make continuing forward. So one of the things I will touch on of what you just represented. All of these things that I've stated throughout this interview have been my personal biased opinion, of course. But that's not how I would vote in Congress. And the reason why is because I actually developed and I'm ready to roll out an app called Voters R Us. And it's going to give the ability to actually sign up for the right to cast your vote on anything that I would vote for. Um, you, you'd be validated and verified by the uh, local, what, what is it, circuit clerk. And once she sees that you're on the record and XYZ, you'll get an account, you'll get a password. It'll be just like your voter card if you want it. But you'll have an account and you'll be able to submit yay or nay or discuss with me anything that I put up that I would vote on. And then I would vote exactly how the majority would vote or would want me to vote regardless of how I felt about it. Because to me, that's how it's supposed to be as far as representation is supposed to be reflective of the individuals that elected you. Yeah, 
That's what it's supposed to be. I think if the founding fathers would have had the opportunity to do something like that, they probably would have because Republic, uh, as far as a constitutional Republic goes, it's the same thing as a democracy, except we vote for the person who votes for us. Yes. And that's why I want to return that power directly to the hands of the people, because I don't want it to get caught up in, you know, my bias or someone else's bias because it's not my power. This is our nation, our country. It's not my country. So why shouldn't they have a say at the big table as well? We have the capabilities of providing that seat at the table now with technology. So why can't they be capable of answering just like I would? All the ones who would let him do that, obviously. I mean, that's really creating it. I've thought about apps like that in the past. I also one time thought about an app that I soon later changed my mind on. But the idea that I had for an app was that, okay, let's create this federal app that everybody can download. And when they pay their taxes, they can dictate where that money goes. Which, when I thought it through a little bit more, I was like, man, some people really might not make the best decision on this. But the spirit yeah. of the idea should uh, still be yeah. on. You know, I think, I think TurboTax did it pretty good. Uh, for instance, when I file my taxes through TurboTax, I, I can allocate a certain portion of my income taxes to go to the fire department, to go to a political campaign, to go anywhere. And then when I'm, when I'm filing my taxes uh, throughout the course of the year and I'm paying into taxes, I can, you know, it, it's much harder to, to uh, much more complicated. I won't say it's difficult, but it's much more complicated to withhold a certain degree of your money from your, from for federal taxes and then allocate those to other things. But I think one of the biggest issues that I have with so many of our socialist friends that want to do the, this this tax hike is that you can already do that voluntarily if it's something that is so important to you. Uh, I lead by example on those on those particular issues. But where is the evidence to support that you've actually done that? Where is the voice from the people where you can actually present to that representative or senator and say, look what your constituents said, and you still voted X, Y, Z? Exactly. There's, there's no, and, and, you know, and that comes right down to a lot of the issues that I have of representation. And uh, many of the issues that I, that I feel uh are because the American people are not exercising their their rights as people because the constitution particularly says that it is the rights, it is the duty of the people to redress Congress and redress their members whenever they feel that there's been a grave offense. And more particularly, though it is not particularly uh, stated in the constitution, it's stated in the Declaration of Independence that it is the duty of the people to abolish such governments that repeatedly cause- But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object reduces- Presents a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their security. Exactly. And if you tried to voice your uh, uh, obligation towards the government as it exists now, guess what? You're going to be labeled a traitor. (laughs) 
That's exactly. sad. But you know, but he, but you know, here, here, here's the, here's the, uh, the funny part is what, when we're looking at at Congress right now, I, I always bring this up because I, I keep a copy of the Constitution, uh, next to my desk at all times, and, you know, Congress is, Congress has, uh, really, um. A, a lot fewer responsibilities than what they have given themselves, at least according to the Constitution, uh, when it was first written. They obviously granted themselves a lot more power since then. But Congress, one of one of Congress's chiefest responsibilities, is that Congress is to make the rules for the government regulations of the land. But it also says that Congress is to provide for the calling forth of the militia to execute the laws of the Union suppress insurrections and repel invasions. Now, then when you go over to the uh, third article of the constitution and in section three, it is defined that treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them, that being the United States, or in adhering to their enemies and giving them aid or comfort. So Congress, in my view, with what has been happening with our southern border for such a long period of time and what's been happening with giving funds, particularly under the Obama administration, to, uh, to our greatest terrorist, <laughs> terrorist enemy uh, has a direct definition to treason as it is defined under the Constitution of the United States. Yet, none, yet nobody is held accountable for, for any of that. What, what about the uh, state legislators that have s deliberately denied uh, Section 273.13 of the Constitution of Mississippi? Yes, that would be considered treason as well to me. I thought so as well. Why, why aren't they dragged up in the streets and tried for treason? And, you know, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that we need to go you know, hang everybody like the Constitution says they should be, but no. there Get needs to be some... Government needs to be some accountability lifetime sentences in jail uh, for for many of these treasonous actions or kick uh, tails out of the united states yeah or so, something has to be done some type of some type of responsibility has to be done for many of these gross usurpations of the government i mean it's obvious that that a convention of states is never going to work because you're never going to get enough people to do that and you and even if you did get enough people, you're never going to get enough people in power to sign off on that, because you need to have two thirds of the states of the United States to, to do it, and then two thirds of the Senate and two thirds of the Congress in order to be able to pass a, con a convention of the states. So we're never going to get there, and we're never going to get to the point where the people are going to abolish the current Congress and replace them, uh, outside of just going and voting for somebody new. That's never going to happen. But what needs to happen to some degree is that there has to be some accountability for a lot of these uh, corruptions in government. And I think that people, that people will start to uh, be more trusting of government because you know, uh, the, the, the favorability of, of, Cong of Congress, of really government is abysmal uh, because people do not trust government because of all of the corruption. So if there was more accountability for these, uh, for these headpins that are in charge, I think the people will start to trust government a little bit more and we'd be on a smoother path to getting things back stable.
And that's what I tried to do with this app was more so provide a layer of accountability to show if you vote X, Y, Z, it's reflective of your constituents, that you're, you're not being held down by money or, you know, political party, that you're voting how your people want you to vote. And uh, so, I, I'm, I'm going to make it open source. So, so, so Rhett has, has no more questions, but I'm sure he'll think of some as I'm going through mine. Uh, I want to try to finish this in about about uh, about ten about ten or twenty minutes. Uh, no, ten because it'll be nine thirty. Um, so I'm going to do these uh, speed speed rounds. Just going to touch up on a couple on a couple of these questions here. So I'm going to start off with with uh, taxes. Uh, you mentioned earlier on things such as property tax and income taxes. So if given the choice, would you be in favor of rescinding property taxes? Yes or no? And why? Yes. Yes. Rescind it. It's illegal, honestly, against the Constitution, 100%. Okay. And this one I had to explain the uh, last time I asked it. Uh, do you believe that there are any uh, taxes currently on the books which do not have just representation? As I explained the last time, my, my opinion of representation uh, for for that is my 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 thing of uh, representation is that it's introduced into a bill and the bill gives you a justifiable reason beyond shadow of a doubt for the reason why this has to why this tax has to be in place. Yeah. Well, one one big key issue is the. Uh, the uh, investment taxes that you pay with your money that you have to pull out or, you know, as we've talked about previously, you either forego it and that can be taken or you either lose it or use it or lose it as that goes. And death that, tax, that, keep, yeah. keep, keep, keep the death tax to get rid of the death tax. Like get, take it out, man. I agree. So on uh, anything on that before I go to my next question, Sret? No. Okay, on health on healthcare, uh, would you repeal or keep Obamacare? I'd keep it. I think we need to have a public private uh, healthcare industry. Right now, your your privatized healthcare's are pretty much monopolizing the way we have. I mean, if you look at the price of drugs here in the United States, we are way above the rest in, as far as prices of drugs and the reason don't you, for see, don't, don't you see a considerable rise in the cost after the implementation of obamacare because as i see it when I, I do, when I sold when i sold it for obamacare one of the biggest issues that i saw was a lot of the smaller companies this again goes back to antitrust anti-monopoly laws but some of the smaller companies which offered better prices uh, they were pushed out of the market because of all of the money the government was giving uh, companies like Blue Cross and Optima and, you know, Cigna. They were giving them so much federal money and these smaller companies couldn't compete. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. It, take it away from the fact that you have a, an, a sole, I guess you'd say, Obamacare. Take that away from it and make it more so a right that you have a right to actually get health care. I mean, why, why, why are we sitting here having to decide who gets treatment or not based upon, you know, if their insurance goes through? I, okay. Go ahead. Okay. I totally understand where you're coming from with that. 
as far as people should have access to health care. If that was all there was to the issue, then I would agree 100%. But the reason why I can't agree to it is because I don't believe that anybody has the right to someone else's services for free. But yet they can turn you and deny you, you know, life-saving surgery. No, they can't under the law. Well, they can. The privatized hospitals can. They're a private business. If they're receiving federal funding, they can't. Well, technically, that's every hospital then. But they're going to say that the state allocated those funds. But then, you know, the problem becomes with those hospitals is their waiting list. But it goes down to... um, uh, I agree with that, one of the biggest issues with the with the Affordable Care Act was you you give them the idea of having coverage, okay, but when you actually take a look at what the coverage is, you have a policy device paying two dollars a month for the policy. They're like, oh yes, I've got the coverage, but their deductible is eight thousand dollars. Their out of pocket cost for the years is nine thousand dollars. And all of their co-pays and co-insurances and other service costs are locked behind deductible. So they, they're not going to be able to use the coverage. So why not just take what Social Security and uh, Medicaid, Medicare, the taxes you're already paying to the federal level? Why not make them the fund for your actual ability to because they don't actually have that money anymore the money that we've been paying into social security is because it's gone to our grandparents and the money they put in is gone yes correct it gets it's even more than that the services which operate the affordable care act is the services uh for medicare the centers of medicaid and medicare services operate and and control uh marketplace coverage the reason why we see the inflated numbers of the 60 million people enrolled in the affordable care act is because they are looking at everybody that is enrolled in coverage through the centers of medicare medicaid services when you break the numbers down there's actually right now about 10 million people that are enrolled in marketplace coverage and the number has has continued to shrink the the largest amount that we ever had was in 2016 that was uh, 17 million people were enrolled in coverage under the Affordable so, Care Act. Here's what I'll say. I, I have phenomenal health care through, uh, you know, employment. Have you ever looked and saw what that insurance company is actually paying them? Because they negotiate those prices with those hospitals. That's why you have mm-hmm. in-network, out-network providers. Yeah. They pay little to nothing to those hospitals. So why isn't that price that they are paying everybody else's price? How can they offer a service the same exact way that they offer somebody who doesn't have health care, a buku amount over that the person has to literally sell their souls to pay for? That I makes think the problem uh, with, the, with the cost uh, becomes an issue because when you force a, a service to become a, a right so if you got, then that, if you that makes cancer, the price go up if you're, if you're diagnosed with cancer tomorrow and a doctor comes in and says I can't save your life unless you pay me $50,000 that's 
that's basically what society we live in. You have no right to get that treatment to save your life unless you pay them. Well, they could, they still have to service you, but they have to be able to figure out whether or not they're going to get that money back. No, they will not service you. They will say that you don't have insurance and cannot afford the treatment. That's why so many people end up either selling their house or going into debt to actually live. And to me, that is wrong. If you tell me that it's right for a person to be able to tell you your life depends on X, Y, Z amount of dollars, then you are the lowest of the low because a person deserves to live. Then why not not target... uh, again, the technology and the service. Why, see, my idea was to go after the, the models and the numbers for how much it actually costs for these services, how much it actually costs for these machines, how old are these machines, are the machines paid off at these particular facilities? Because if you can get to those numbers, you can get to a number of a price ceiling on what companies and hospitals are able to charge for such but services. That goes back to how you said we can get to it later. That's the same concept. If you have the federal government stepping in and saying, we're not paying that. Well, no, I'm not saying have the federal government step in. I'm just saying have the federal government, uh, which which goes to my next question on this, which is what 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 should government's role in healthcare be, if any? But um, that's my next question. But what I'm saying is what, in my view, their role should be to take a look at what it actually costs to have services and then tell hospitals and, and the private sector, you can't, charge over, you can't charge over this amount for this service based so, upon the numbers of what we have been able to find out. So no, first of all, government has no play in healthcare. That was not institutionalized in the constitution. So we have no play in it. But I do believe it should be passed that every citizen has a right to health care. Does that mean we set up a fund like Social Security? By all means, let's do it. Because honestly, if, if 5% of my check was taken out or whatever, at least I know I'm going to see it the next time I'm sick. I'm never going to see Social Security. I'm never going to see uh, you know, Medicaid, Medicare. If, it, if you pass health care as a right, practically, you will never have the option of balancing debt over life. It didn't go. Then let's go on to my next question. Um, not sure if Rick can hear us. So he'll probably let us know when he gets back to his chair. Uh, do you support incentivizing free market competition as an answer to the growing cost of healthcare? Well, uh, should, should I explain what I mean by this? Well, no, you, you're talking about providing more incentives to uh, more people to compete more is that what you're saying yes what i'm meaning is uh for, for the comp for instance uh blue cross blue shield optima health I, I want those companies to compete to reduce their cost so that you can get quality health care for a low price so what i'm going to do is i'm going to say that i'm going to give this is just a number i put out of the air i haven't done any of the math to figure out what the incentive should be but i'm going to say i'm going to give the company who can reduce their costs down to such and such percentage with a co- with a quality of coverage of such and such level, I'll give you a two percent reduction on ta- on tax at the end of the year. 
and and honestly, uh, history. What it, how's the saying goes? History let history be a lesson. What have we seen over the uh, almost 120 years of this country? Do you really want to trust companies to be uh, integrity driven and trustworthy that they are capable of actually competing, or are they going to go sit behind a table and actually negotiate? Hey, you said it this, I'll set it that. Why not just make it to where everyone has the right to have it? But I, I think I get what you, I think what I you've seen in, in the most part is when you when you allow incentives like that to happen and then you and you put the incentive out in there out there and then government you steps out of the way i think you find a lot of the time where companies begin to adapt and evolve substantially which increases their profit margin because they're now they're able to get a larger consumer base based upon the incentivations that they've had to make in order to get there uh, you see that with, uh, for instance, America used to have, but well, we still do, but we used to have a, a, high a high pollutant count in the air. But then when big government stepped out of the way uh, with these regulations on what companies can do and allowed them to push for other incentivations, uh, we were able to reduce uh, our, our uh, carbon emissions by like 3.5%. Uh, while, while everybody else that was stuck in the Paris Common Accord uh, increased theirs by 3.5% or more. So uh, one thing I will say, the whole insurance. Uh, yeah, insurance is much more complicated than the Paris Common Accord, but you know, yeah. Joe was just using that as an example. Well, the whole insurance healthcare industry as a whole is all profitized. Uh, you're, you're equating someone's life to money. And there is not a single price tag that you could equate someone's price to be. See, I don't look at it that way. I'm, think, I'm looking at it as you're equating the service to save someone's life to money as opposed to their but life why is in general. It a service to actually give life or make well, life you're not well you're not giving life or anything but you're trying to help somebody sustain what theirs. is yeah. what is the constitution state that you have the right to yeah you have the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness say the first word right to life okay so case, you're saying someone's service is, to me is to provide me that life to say the case is you're already alive but you've and I'm become you've become sick. Now they've done all the proprietary science and all of the work to provide you with a service of keeping you alive. They have to be compensated in some form of that. It's not free. Yeah, but it sure as hell shouldn't be fifty thousand dollars over the actual price of the service. That's what I meant when I said put a price ceiling on it because I I agree that the cost of the services are too high, but as far as making it something that government should be uh, taking money out of, the, out of my check for, I don't agree with, because if I want quality health care, oh, oh, yes, I should absolutely. pay for it. If I could get away from all taxes as a whole, let's do it. I'm all for it tomorrow. Is it going to happen? <laughs> 
If it does, I'll be happy. It's much harder to get government to stop spending money than it is to get them to stop going to war. Man. So, yeah, if, if we could do away with taxes tomorrow, I'm all for it because I'm never going to see any type of a so-called investment from my taxes that I've been uh, paying. But if you give the fact of, you know, healthcare is a right, look in Canada. Canada is a great example, but at the same time, you've got to uh, kind of despise them at the same time because their weight is so rampant. And that's why I'm so much for a private public, one where you have the right to actually go get health care but also the opportunity if you wanted to spend your own money and get more specialized health care. Well, I would say, would you not say that we already have a private public? Because say, for instance, if like if I get sick, I don't go to the hospital. I go to Coastal Family Health Clinic. I've been going there even when I even when I have insurance, I go to Coastal Family Health Clinic and I get all my services and costs there. And it's always cheap. And now I even I even have my all my medications and stuff sent to their pharmacy and I pay practically nothing for it. But yet you're still paying for it, correct? I pay for it. Like, for instance, if I when I have to go in and I need to get uh, get an enema for a colonoscopy or something of that nature, um, I go in there. I, I had got the prescription. When I went to Ocean Springs at the hospital there, I got a prescription uh, for, uh, you know, the laxatives you have to drink to clean you out for that stuff, for the colonoscopy, $199. I take the same prescription and I said, oh, I can't afford that. And I took it to, because I already had to pay $1,100 for the service. And I took it to Coastal Family. That same prescription, $12. And significantly more affordable. What was the, the difference? The, the only thing that was different was the name, of the name brand of the of the drug, and hmm. the pharmacy that I went to. And there you have it: pharmaceutical companies, negotiations with certain pharmacies. It's the same way with healthcare. That's why the vaccine is being pushed so hard. Correct. I mean. Correct. The really the problem with the healthcare industry, which is the same problem with every industry, is that the most powerful companies within the industry will always have the most money to pay the government to get the regulations that they want in place to benefit Correct. them. Take away that power. And what do they have? Nothing. Thank okay, you. So here's here's my next couple of questions. Should we expand or reduce welfare? So welfare has a place. I think it's a, a great tool, but it's also taken advantage of. Um, so I'm going to stick with reducing it if the numbers back the fact that it needs to be reduced. Does that make sense? So you'd like to do a study um, on, on the implications of welfare and things of that nature, which, which I think there are some studies out there, but I would agree. I would agree on that. Uh, should the police be defunded or not? No, absolutely not. But I do believe they should have more accountability. Um, yeah, I, I agree on the accountability. If not defunded, should they have uh, have uh, resources reallocated? 
Mm. Well, that's going to be more so your state level because they're going to allocate those funds. But what 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 do you mean in, as far as resources allocated? Uh, Maybe I can uh, shed a little yeah, bit yeah. of light on what he's go, trying go. to say. Uh, ahead, so Ray. during the last one, I'm just going to say pretty much the same thing I said then. Most of the people who are calling for defunding of the police, that's not what they actually mean. They What they mean is abolish the police. And that's a terrible idea. I personally know many people who would salivate at the chance to rob people without the possibility of repercussions. I've been to prison. I'm a felon myself. I know plenty of people. I have met plenty of people who are like that. They certainly exist. Defunding the police is a stupid idea because these people don't have any plan as to far as what they're going to be replaced with or who you're going to call if somebody's breaking into your house. There's no police, then there's no police. I think the appropriate measure to take in this instance is reform the police. And I'll quote one thing that Andrew Yang from the Democratic primaries 2020 said, they should all be a purple belt in jujitsu, at least, before they use their gun. Well, here, here's my take, is I've had more hours, being as I'm prior military, I've had more experience, I've been trained more than that police officer. And yet when I have one, say, attached to my side, I'm looked at as a threat, doing absolutely nothing wrong. So that's why I'm more so for uh, more accountability, as well as ending the the protections that are in play to uh, deny them the fact that if they kill someone, they are susceptible to a jury. What do you think, what do you think should happen with police unions? Police unions? Yes. Why are they even in existence? In the same, uh, uh, in the same agreement. Okay. Uh, do you believe the school should move more towards privatization or be left as is? Hmm. Hmm. That define privatization because if you if you privatize it, someone's still going to be influencing the agenda of it. Uh, but it's also playing out in Mississippi now where legislators are determining. Okay, let me put it this way. What I mean by privatization is uh, that rather than you being forced to be, uh, send your kids to a particular school that's within your district or your region, that your your money should follow your child. Your money should follow your child. So rather than everywhere rather than it just being an, all the money going to to the state and then they put it in every place else your money only goes to the school that you send your child to and and also the idea of charter schools as well yes i'm 100 percent for that but should it be implemented as a whole no because you're not going to have the ability to afford certain entities because you're going to be taxed more i'm assuming 
I've never actually. That's why I mean. That's why I mean. Should it move more towards privatization, or should it be left as is? Moving towards, I mean, you know, we have to find it, find appropriate numbers and stuff like that in order to get to privatization. That's that's a. It's a scary subject to think about too, because if you because get as I, as I think right now, the teachers unions are worse than the police unions. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But at the same time, our public. Uh, teachers are just underfunded and underpaid. I don't know how much I agree with that. But well, I can say from experience, my parents were educators. So I saw how they worked and how they cared for kids. And yet they're given little to no salary. But I, I, I would be more on the idea that right, right now, the teachers unions and the Department of Education have basically crippled the the education sector, uh, the way that st uh, teachers are able to teach their students. I, I think can that plays say, a yeah, but massive part in it. Unions should be abolished because those teachers' unions do not speak for everyone. Okay, I agree. Um, I think you've already answered this one, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you for or against the legalization of illegal drugs? Legalize it. It's unconstitutional. Trillions of dollars against a war that's something that shouldn't have happened against a corrupt president that institutionalized it. Okay. Are you for or against debt forgiveness, particularly student loan forgiveness? Yes, at this time. With the actual inflation of the way it is, um but you're keeping students in debt that's one of the reasons i joined the military was so i wouldn't uh incur student debt and do you believe that if someone takes out a loan they should pay pay it as they've signed the contract to yes i do i believe that but how else are certain individuals going to pay for college without being told they're going to have to go hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt I mean, obviously, uh, it's, a, it's a lie. Let me see what's going on here. Yeah, we do. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk on that. Uh, probably, if you if you ever join on join us again, we'll talk on that. But we I do would love to. Be to. My we cousin's need to be moving on. $200,000. So here's my last question before we before we start asking the, the wrap-up questions. Um, what are some issues that you'd like to see changed on a community basis? Stop looking at political party. I, I agree, I agree. So here we are at almost three hours in. So we need to start wrapping things up here. Um, Rhett, any closing questions? Our thoughts? Well, concerns. I don't have any more questions on my list, but uh, well, for the most part, I've agreed with most of what you said. I've agreed with most of, uh, save for the Obamacare question, but I think next time, if you decide to come back for the next show, um, we could discuss health more, healthcare more in depth. Um, as far as right to somebody else's see i just when the government get involved gets involved with anything it becomes more expensive it, it becomes corrupt 
Yeah. It and does. that's why it should be a education right. is the so. same reason. Education, student loans, private schools, charter schools, health care. All that it's, money it's, out there, the tuition yeah. just keeps rising. Well, but these see, private institutions will charge more because they know the government will foot the bill. Yeah, I mean, right. you've seen what Harvard did uh, when the PPP, the Patriot Protection Plan, comes out there. They were the first ones to take a loan. And Harvard has a, has over two point five billion dollar trust. They don't. They never needed any money, and they were the first ones to jump up there and try to take some of the COVID relief money. Well, Harvard is a is basically a government institution, yeah. <laughs> as far as we're concerned. Here, Yale, all the Ivy League schools. So here, here's yet again, the government shouldn't be playing a part in it. But if you leave it unchecked, guess who's going to come in and actually do the regulatory implementations the state government they're going to come in and say oh well you owe us xyz that's why property taxes are a state owned entity it's not a federal tax that you're paying that's a state tax just like your car tag a boat tag or anything else along that nature so the federal government should be more so overseers making sure it's not corrupted now, should it actually be deciding rules, regulations, blah, 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 blah? Probably not, because that has- To no an form. extent, There's, they should be yeah, a referee, yeah. not yeah, a player. Yeah, yeah right. I, I, I absolutely agree, because the, the, way I, the way I feel about the federal government and the role that Congress should play is they should be minimalist at best. Guideline. They should be minimalist at best. They should get involved they, they should be more like the Supreme Court, honestly, where the Supreme Court is hesitant to get involved in anything. Congress should be like that, where because they only get involved at the last possible minute when something absolutely has to be addressed. And that's how level. it was supposed to be, is because when you're implementing on that great of scale, you're implementing for every single citizen in the country. And like, like Rhett said, it should be a referee. You should be on the bare minimum, barely passing anything, making sure everything's a-okay, nothing else is corrupt. You're the one you know, making think, sure there's no technical fouls. I You're making sure uh, nobody else breaks the rules. It's not your game to be playing. You're the one making yeah. sure nobody else is breaking any rules. I, I think we all can agree that, the, that the here, here's become the problem with our government. The state has ceded most of its power to Congress. Congress, in turn, ceded most of its power to the executive branch of the presidency. And then they now they're having trouble getting some of that power back. And then the presidency, because they've been term limited by Congress, they look to the Supreme Court far too often to try to overturn uh, the loopholes that Congress has made. I disagree. I think it's become a whole, it's your fault that we can't get anything done type of situation, uh, pointing fingers. Uh, every single four years, we either have a shift in the House or the Senate or the presidency going back and forth from party to party, and nothing has been accomplished for the most part. At what point, as we as a society, are going to step up and say, okay, screw this, nothing has happened. Let's actually speak up and let our voices be heard. 
the majority of our society is never going to do that. I know that you probably know that's the case, but that means that the role that people like us have is much, much more important because we know most of our counterparts are not going to even, they're not going to care. They're not going to pay attention They're, And you can understand this. Most people are, I mean, as far as personal events in our own lives, they're so much more acute than national events. Why should we care? I mean, the pains that we have from our own personal lives are much worse. So the role that people like you, people like us, independent media sources, is it's uh, accelerated. It's uh, more important. But in that as well, we have the duty to tell the truth. Correct. Correct. So not only not only we have to be paying to attention, the then if we're going to be the ones paying attention, that we have the duty to tell everybody else who isn't paying attention, we have to yell it loud enough what's true. But not only do we have the duty to tell the truth, we have a duty and a responsibility to encourage people to exercise their freedom. I think that's the biggest issue that I, that I would like people to take when we do our when we do our shows, particularly now that COVID has come in and people have been so willing to to secede their freedoms to government, is that we have freedom of speech. Article Article One of the Bill of Rights is the freedom of speech and freedom of religion, freedom to be able to do that. That, that does not mean that there is no consequence for what you say, but we have to get people to exercise that freedom. If they don't exercise their freedom, because what it comes down to, Americans really only have two powers in this country, and those two powers are the powers that control everything. That's the freedom of our voice, which we which we recognize when we go to the ballot, and even more so, the freedom that we exercise with our pocketbooks. We, Speech we is the most have, important freedom. We the can, First we Amendment. control everything with those two things. Right, but I'm going to quote somebody. I'm going to quote Stephen Crowder on this because I like this line that he said. It was an interview with David Barton. A lot of times you'll hear, you will hear people parrot the line. Um, what was it? Um, you can't let, you can't, as far as the First Amendment goes, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, you can if there's a fire yep tell the truth that's it just be yourself and honest and straightforward stop okay. playing behind so, the game thir- uh 30 seconds uh mr lee anything that, in this interview that we have given you that we have not addressed that you feel is necessary that you want to give a couple of closing statements to give 30 no, seconds man. no i think you guys covered a lot uh I thank you for having me, for sure. Um, I'd love to discuss more in depth certain political issues such as healthcare. I think that's a big one. And like Rhett said, it, it'll take a, a lot longer to go in details about. But I, yet again, thank you for the opportunity to come on. Also, uh, another, 30, another 30 seconds for you. Tell our viewers where they can find you, if they want to support you, if they want to donate to you, how, they can, how can they get in contact with you well, I would ask that you don't donate money, that you donate your time 
and your voice just to get out and to let people know that I exist. Uh, the website is leafforliberty.com and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and that would be the best way to reach out to me. Facebook and Twitter is that Aaron, Aaron Lee? No, Lee for Liberty. It's all one. Lee for Liberty. Lee for Liberty at Twitter, Lee for Liberty at Facebook, and LeeforLiberty.com. Uh, we are glad to have you with us tonight. It was made for a very good episode. It went longer than longer than we at first intended. But when there are questions that need to be answered, and as I said at the intro to this, when there's challenges to certain answers that need to be made in order for our constituencies and our viewers to be able to get the full picture of your ideas, I think it's appropriate that we're able to get this far. We would love to have you back here on the show at any time. Uh, if you ever want to come back onto the show, uh, get in contact with Rhett and he can set things up. Hey, Rhett, do you have those uh, websites written down so that we can yeah. share those? Yeah, I got, his, I got his websites, I got his email, I got his phone number. We'll set something up pretty soon here. All right. Okay. Well, all right. It was well, nice this having is, you guys. This has been the story of America, and we thank you guys for listening and watching with us. Stay tuned. We're going to have a lot more episodes coming up. Next weekend, we will be interviewing the Democratic candidate for Mississippi's Congress and uh, Congressional 4th District. And then the following Friday, we'll have uh, the Libertarian candidate, Alden Johnson, back with us again for a round two. Uh, we want to make sure that we can get as much information out about these candidates as possible as challengers to Palazzo. We still haven't heard from Palazzo himself to come on to our show, but if he ever decides to uh, make an appearance, you'll get it here first. <laughs> not a single Republican has responded to me, by the way. They're not going to. They're not going to. Oh, you, you know how hard it was when I was actually going to run. I, when I first decided to run, in 20 in 2020 i was going to run on the republican ticket and and when i was trying to put my hat in the race they i wanted i wanted to get the ball started early i wanted to start in 19 they told me that i that i couldn't they told me i needed to call back in january of 2020 and so that's when i decided to go with the independent ticket and then after that i went to the constitution party ticket and if i ever decide to run again it will be on the Constitution Party. And since I'd be the practically the only person running in the, for the Constitution Party, uh, you know, it, it's helpful to have all of their funding <laughs> just to myself. <laughs> yeah, man, out of five Republicans running, none of them responded to me. Yeah. They didn't even say hi. They're not going. And most four of them are like nobodies, basically. Yeah. Well, those nobodies take up the ticket, and then this new law yeah. that they passed, or next this last election we passed to get rid of those Jim Crow laws, it says that if there's not a majority made on the primaries, that all of them have to be voted against. It, it's like a runoff until they decide. Well, if I don't hear nothing from, well, I mean, even well, before we I'll say that, I, definitely, I, we've had Alden Johnson on, we've had you on now. Definitely, both David, of y'all. I would vote David for before Sellers any of them. Is, David Sellers is going to be on with us 
Uh, and I, this David Siller is just the one I'm most interested in because he's a Democrat nominee. And I want to see what the difference in a Mississippi Democrat and a, and a California Democrat, because there's, this dude, is they're not even the same breed. Like no, not the this, same is, this is the no. no, this is the big thing uh, that separates this, this, the self, the South and the north really to separate it's not, it's not so much the south it's the middle of the country from the two from the two polar uh not polar but uh from the two coast the western and eastern coast and th this is this is what separates us from that and that's that's what i'm most interested in hearing the the views i mean when mike epsey was running for senate i already knew what his stuff was for because you know it was obama on obama boy. but sellers i'm interested in learning uh, learning about uh also coming up uh, we are commemorating black history month for the month of february so i will be having a lot of guests on that are that are black and we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of the issues that are facing the black america and what we can do to mitigate those issues uh michael jordan will be joining me um in a couple of times this week not that Michael Jordan, different Michael Jordan, still, still, still wealthy, just not as wealthy as that Michael Jordan. <laughs> and you can't hopefully, just say that. you can't just say, yeah, Michael you got a Chicago Bulls hat on as well. Like, what? <laughs> and, and you said, and, <laughs> and hopefully, my special surprise guest, uh, for this month will respond to me and set up a, an episode of my show. Uh, that being. Uh, Larry Elder. Hopefully, we can get him to come join the show, but we'll see what happens with that. And in the meantime, we look to see you guys this time next week at seven o'clock for our interview of David Sellers, the Democratic nominee. Of that, I thank you all for joining us, and we're going to end this episode right now. <laughs>